Hey, welcome to the Art Condition Podcast, a weekly show that will discuss the business, community, and often undiscussed stress and mental health concerns of being a professional artist or even a serious hobbyist. I'm Joby. I've been in the tattoo and illustration professions for 25 years. My co-host is Moose, a data analyst, social media manager, and art agent. If you enjoy the content, please consider visiting the Patreon page and the show notes to help support the effort. Or if that's not an option, please like, subscribe, leave a good review, or just share with your friends. And definitely go visit the links of our guests on this episode. Thanks for listening, and have a great day. This week, we are talking to Blake and Gavin about Kickstarter. Both have run successful Kickstarters and have a lot of valuable info about how to get them started and optimized for success. Among many interesting topics, we cover details relating to profit and loss numbers, how to use analytics before and after your campaign, the value of advertising, and how to know where to allocate your time. We also talk about specifics like stretch goals, what they are, when they work, when they don't, what is it like to run Kickstarter as its own business model, and what do different size campaigns need for success. Lots more is on the way. Hope you enjoy. Here's the interview. Uh, Blake, maybe you can take us through it first, man. Give us a little bit of your personal history and um, how you got into art and where you're at today. Ooh, that's a long story. You sure? (laughs) Uh, You got two hours. Okay. Okay, good. (laughs) Uh, Well, my name is Blake. I'm a fantasy illustrator. Uh, Currently, because things, you know, change constantly. Currently, I do a lot of uh, freelance for private clients mostly D&D characters, actually. I've been doing that full-time for the last uh, like year and a half, almost two years now. Per- no, no, sorry. Yeah, about a year and a half doing that. Um, but uh, I've always wanted to be involved in art. I mean, I've been drawing since, you know, since I was a child, as far back as I can remember. Um, but I wanted to get into game design, but... Uh, um, that just never like, you know, you have dreams of like, Oh, I want to be this. I want to be that. But then as you, you know, work towards those things, sometimes those paths change or maybe your art actually isn't what you thought it was. And it turns out I was a little more, a little more character or illustrative um, oriented. And so I, so lately I've been diving more into, into that path. Um, Yeah. I tried to shorten it as much as I could. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but yeah, that's that's what I do. Um, uh, I'm also developing a fantasy world called Omen Shard. It's kind of slow, slow going at the moment, but having a lot of fun with it as well. Um, experimenting with different products. I was also uh, um, diving into conventions, but then, of course, as I'm starting to get the ball rolling, COVID happens. So I'm like, well, maybe I'll just not do that <laughs> and uh, try other things. Yeah. But yeah, did I diverge too much from the question? Or are we good? I, I give it an A plus. Okay, ten, cool. ten of ten would bio again. Oh, okay. Gavin, Gavin <laughs> can you can you give us the same rundown, man? Yeah. Um, so I'm Gavin. Um, I well, I don't know. Whatever. I'm an I'm an illustrator. Um, I, I I'm an independent illustrator. I guess. Um, uh, my entire. Um, illustration career i've never really done any freelance or or um uh in-house work uh before that i was a graphic designer and that was at a company um before that i was a carpet installer how, how far back you want me to go <laughs> yeah, uh, but yeah. Yeah, go ahead. um yeah you know the uh 
um, the, I guess what sort of led me to being an artist, I think I've always kind of been artistically inclined, but growing up, I didn't know that illustration was necessarily where I was going to land. Um, a lot of the reason why I wanted to draw was because I had friends that could draw better than me. <laughs> I wanted to be the guy who could draw. Um, but I guess I just kind of stuck with it over the years and, and came back around to it after diverging into graphic design and a few other things. And, um, then I, you know, started experimenting with game design and, and I mean, ultimately that's kind of why I wanted to, I guess, be an illustrator in the first place was, you know, like everybody else, I wanted to work on magic, the gathering and do all that stuff. And, and, uh, my style doesn't lend itself to be on magic cards. And it took me a while to accept that fact. But once I did, it was like, oh, now the doors are open. Oh, I can. I was like, I still want to illustrate games, but how do I do that? So I'm like, well, I'm just going to make my own games. So I don't know if that was coherent, but here we are. Fantastic. <laughs> um, just a quick aside from magic. You see sometimes that, you know, they're starting to hit styles that are outside of the. I'll put norm in scare yeah. quotes uh for you know what you typically see on their cards so i don't know i feel like there's still options for artists that don't fall into those um yeah i mean i've I've kind of kept an eyeball on it just because i've been curious i know like seb mckinnon's one that really is sort of outside of their norm but other than that a lot of the stuff they've been doing has been promo cards that have been really divergent oh, which is interesting okay. but all right yeah the actual reason that you guys are here is um both of you have a fair amount of experience with kickstarter and that's what we want to talk about a lot. Um, yeah. If you could, uh, maybe Gavin, you can start and mm -hmm. tell us a, a little bit quickly about, you know, what your Kickstarter experience has been in terms of, you know, what the projects are that you've gotten off the ground and gotten funded. Mm -hmm. um, and then Blake, you can follow that. And then we'll talk a little bit about like what the research was and how you sort of prep for all of it. Okay. Um, I've ran two Kickstarters. Uh, the first one I ran was a very small one that was for a sketchbook of mine. Um, and that was mostly just focused on my sort of core audience, right? So that's the people that uh, um, are on my mailing list from conventions and people that are more close and just art connected. Uh, and then my second Kickstarter was for my first uh, card game, which um, was considerably larger. Um, it was a little, we raised a little over $40,000. And um, that one was much broader. That was like, okay, let's let's actually try to find who the audience is for this game, and we did things like advertising and and uh, much more in depth video and things like that. So that's that's been kind of my two big experiences so far. Cool. Yeah, Blake. Uh, my Kickstarter. I've I've done one, uh, and it was uh, my first one. Did it last year, and it was. Uh, pretty successful. I did a deck of illustrated playing cards um, based off uh, just my own fantasy universe. And uh, it was really, it was really awesome. We ended up doing just shy of uh, $9,000 of a, a $5,000 goal. And uh, it was great. And um, uh, a lot of the, the research that went into it led to a much easier experience than I actually thought it would be. Um, you know, you, you think about Kickstarter and, and setting up, um, you know, pledge rewards and calculating shipping and all these things. And it's like, if you just, you know, think about it, if, if you just spend too much time thinking about it and not actually doing research or, or writing things down or whatever, it can get really overwhelming really fast. But um, yeah, the, the end result was much smoother than, than I anticipated. While we have uh, those numbers fresh in our minds, 
I'm just curious, uh, what was the take home for both of those? Or did you basically just buy the product that you then had to sell later? Uh, for mine, uh, my take home was nothing because I, I used um, all of the money to buy additional decks of cards to then sell later to take to conventions or sell online or, uh, or whatever. So uh, if I didn't do that, uh, if I just purchased uh, decks that sold via Kickstarter, I think I would have taken home, uh, gosh, I want to say something like maybe three, three or 4,000. But, but really, long run, I think buying the additional decks would, would generate more over time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, similar, similar on my end. Um, the first one, my first Kickstarter, I think I raised around two grand and most of that will I, I want to say at least half of it was profit because that was mostly like i'm making this just small sketchbook sort of product and i wasn't too worried about like ordering a bunch more to sell afterward um but the second the second kickstarter with the the card game was almost I, i'm not gonna call it a loss leader but it was more like the goal was to get as many backers in as possible keep the pledge levels low focus on building a, a Kickstarter audience to then go into the second and third uh, games. Um, and we spent quite a bit of money on advertising. So take home on the, you know, we, we raised a little over 40, but we, we didn't make any money. Mm. We basically broke even. Where, uh, where did the advertising go? Like what, what sort of advertising were you doing? Okay. So we tried a bunch of different stuff because with it being our first game, we were like, okay, how, how do you market a game on Kickstarter? How do you do this? Right. So we did a bunch of research into what other people were doing. Um, we hired reviewers to give us their honest opinion. It's basically like, so, so there's, there's reviewers for different card games and things. And, and in order to get in their queue, you basically pay them, right? It's not paying for a good review. It's paying to just be in their queue. Um, so we, we hired, I want to say, five or six of those um somewhere between 100 and 500 each um then we did a board game geek homepage takeover which was probably well maybe the second most expensive thing we did um and that garnered basically zero clicks that was in the the 1500 2000 range um we did a, a 24-hour homepage takeover at the beginning of the campaign and we did a we were going to do another 24 hour at the end of the campaign. Um, and we canceled the end of the campaign because it just didn't bring anybody in. Um, and then the rest of our advertising budget was Facebook ads, um, specifically Facebook, not Instagram. Um, and those ads performed really well. So we basically ended up in a position where we had ads that we were, it's almost like if you get it tuned right, you're sort of printing money in a weird way, right? <laughs> where you're, your 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 cost for the game is x amount and then your profit is y amount and then in the middle there there's a margin of like how much you can pay to get the ad in in front of people um and so we tried to maximize maximize that amount so we could bring in as many people as possible uh even if we weren't really making a lot of money on each of those purchases we just wanted to bring those people into our kickstarter ecosystem blake did you uh do any spending on advertising or was it all social media word of mouth driven uh, I didn't spend a dime on, uh, on online advertising. Um, I wanted to see what I could do with, yeah, with just word of mouth. And, uh, and I, I'd already been on Twitch for a while. Um, and I had been working on the, the art live on Twitch all leading up to it for like 
gosh, nine months, I think nine months of working on that art. Uh, so that, so in the sense that was kind of my advertising, uh, working on it live for nine months before launch. Um, but yeah, I didn't, I didn't spend a dime. I just, you know, posted on regular Facebook and Instagram. Um, I don't think I even bothered with, with Twitter at the time even, but, Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, I wanted to see what would happen. I bet if I did actually invest, uh, invest some dollars into advertising, it would have gotten a lot further, but even then for just Twitch and then regular social media, um, I got like a hundred and I got 197 backers. So like not bad, but yeah, it was all word of mouth really. Um, and then Twitch. So I, I think I got lucky if I did it again. Um, I don't know if it would be the same level of success or if I would have to invest into advertising then to, to push further. I'm not sure, but it was, it was interesting. It was a, an experiment and it worked at least at this level. Yeah. Gavin, the advertising that you did, was that prior to the Kickstarter for the Kickstarter or after the Kickstarter for the continuation of the product or both or. Uh, it was, it was a little bit before and a lot during, um, Mm -hmm. so we did a little bit of advertising before, which in this next game, we're going to end up doing more of a lead up than we did. Uh, a lot of it was that we were still just trying to get our feet under us and figure out like, how do we even get this thing accomplished? It's basically me and one other guy doing the entire thing. So we're like, okay, how do we, how do we just, you know, make sure that we're looking like we're not just coming out of nowhere. So we, we did some advertising to get some likes on our Facebook page and, um, just sort of build up a little bit of a buzz and make sure if people were trying to find us, they could see us and be like, oh, these guys, you know, they have some kind of presence. Um, and then during that's when that's where we focus the majority of our money um, just to get people into the Kickstarter, get us pushed up higher in the Kickstarter rankings, um, get into the trending sections, things like that. So I had heard that uh, the majority of um, the success of a Kickstarter comes in the first day. So yeah, wouldn't it make sense to do advertising more beforehand rather than during so you can get that big boost at the start? You definitely want, yeah, I mean, you definitely want a big boost at the start because that's what's going to push you into the the higher like trending sections and stuff. I know things have changed a little bit since we ran ours. We ran the Kickstarter for this back in like 2017. So the, the um, trending sections and things are a little bit different now. Um, but at the time, it was like, yeah, really focused on how many people are back in this project, how much buzz is happening very early on. Uh, and we actually got pushed up into the first page of the trending section uh, in games when we, uh, like on the first day or so. And we were like, oh man, this is great. This is great. Okay, this is perfect. It's right where we want to be. And then we're like, maybe we can we can take the gas off the Facebook advertising a little bit because we were spending a lot of money early on. And so we're like, okay, let, let's take the gas off just a little bit. And we did. We started falling out of the section. And once we started falling, it was really hard to climb back in. Mm. So don't take your foot off the gas. <laughs> Gavin, uh, yeah. totally unrelated to anything. David Peterson is in the chat. And he says that oh. I want Gavin to know that I'm silently judging him with my eyes from the doorway. <laughs> That's an inside joke. <laughs> yeah, I figured that it was. And it would make it that much more odd, which is why I wanted to read it. Yeah. Um, nice. I, What's I, up, I, David? I, I want to uh, highlight that thing that both of you sort of uh, touched on as far as, you know, how much you guys made. And I I think it's an important point because I hear it a a lot and it can serve two purposes. Um, You know, one, uh, from an outside point of view, oftentimes people will see the numbers that a Kickstarter generates 
forty thousand yeah. dollars. Oh my god, they got rich. Yeah. Um. Yeah. You know, or you know, uh, what what Blake funded in like nine hours. You know, and yeah. uh, oh my god, he just made thousands of dollars in nine hours. Why do you, Kickstarter is a Ponzi scheme? I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I actually haven't actually heard that very much, but it's you know to a similar effect that people are like mind blown. Um, but what to what you guys were talking about, there's so many other things that are involved that maybe people aren't aware of. And yeah. it, I think that going into it, whether you're going to start a Kickstarter or you're thinking about fun or contributing to someone's Kickstarter, or you're just observing the whole Kickstarter ecosystem, it isn't just people just making thousands of dollars. These are almost like startup funds that are then getting yep. plugged back into the product to further it. It's it's all part of the big business model. It's not a money making machine in and of itself. Not early on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean that that's exactly right. Like this, the Kickstarter. Uh, I had a a goal of five thousand dollars, and that goal was to. That was to cover the print cost of the 1,000 decks of cards I wanted to buy. Um, I mean, that was the actual cost. Uh, so that's mm-hmm. like irrespective of even shipping. Now, if I had, if I did not get that $5,000 goal, I would have gotten, you know, a lot less decks of cards, obviously, and then, um, you know, done something different. But since I met that $5,000 goal, I'm like, okay, can we, you know, can we do this? And I, I was wondering if I was going to have to. I mean, I would have eaten shipping and everything, but then that last $4,000 that I got beyond that goal was able to cover everything, um, which was good. But, uh, but yeah, like, you know, I, I got those reactions a lot. People were like, you know, congratulating me. People who didn't understand is like, you know, yeah, like I, I was very happy. This was successful. This is awesome. But I did not make a thousand dollars an hour. Like that's that's, <laughs> that's not what happened there. Um, you know, I, I I came out with like you know almost no money, and you know that money is is longer term. Uh, but uh, but yeah, I heard a piece yeah. of advice a long time ago. Um, I can't remember where I heard it from. It may have been Seth Godin because I like that guy a lot. But um, he basically says like try to um, not make money as long as possible like as long as you can just keep reinvesting and building and building and building that's what you should be doing um so that was really yeah our goal going into the the game kickstarter uh our our funding goal is twenty nine thousand, um which is pretty lofty especially for a very first project on that account um and so uh we built in like okay the the printing cost of the game which was substantial i mean that was i think it was the, the the majority of that cost was just getting the game printed and it was only two two decks of cards a rule book a box and one special card that was just a larger card and um the minimum order is difficult i think it was probably a thousand or fifteen hundred um and and getting over that like okay now we can actually order the product hump right and then we also built uh shipping costs into the campaign because we wanted to save free shipping we wanted to be like, all right, free shipping. And then if you're shipping anywhere in the world, it's like an extra $2 or something. We tried to to really hone in on like, okay, how do we do distribution in a way that is scalable um, and get as many initial backers in here as possible? So uh, my, my business partner, um, is he works in logistics. So he kind of knew what we were getting into and he 
was the go-to for all of our uh, distribution worldwide. So uh, he he had we had distributors in like Australia, the UK, um, where I mean Canada. I don't think we did China, but basically like all over the like all over the place, right? So <laughs> basically, we had the game printed um, from this company named Panda, who's in Canada, but they, they are a go-between Canada and China. Um, so the game's printed in China, and then from China, it's sent to our distributors in other countries so that we don't have to pay to ship it to us and then pay to ship it back out. Um, and so, yeah, so much of this was just infrastructure building and figuring out, like, okay, if this thing had really gone gangbusters, now we know how to, f to fulfill it, right? So... Both of you guys mentioned shipping and handling being a, a big chunk of cost, right? Yeah. But does Kickstarter also take 30% of the money that's paid to be put towards shipping and handling? Uh, um, good question. Yes, because the, <laughs> yes, the, the number that's, that's like funded on Kickstarter, the number that you see the backers pledged this dollar amount, Kickstarter takes a percent cut from that total. So if you have, you know, say I'm going to pledge you know, uh, $15 or more for one deck of playing cards, the shipping that's tacked on to that cost goes into your pledge total. And right. then Kickstarter takes the cut from that. So yes, Kickstarter is taking a portion of that shipping cost, which so, kind of sucks. There are ways around that through yeah. third party systems or whatever, but I wasn't aware of that at the time. <laughs> the thing that I'm not sure of though, is if you run your campaign where people pay for shipping post campaign, like you're you're talking to like if you did it through a like a pledge manager, right, Blake? Yeah, yeah. Well, so, well, because I, I didn't do it through pledge manager; it was just all through everything was Kickstarter. Everything was Kickstarter. Okay. Yeah. Did you do your shipping like uh, while the campaign was running? So if somebody backed it, they also paid for shipping, right? Then. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. So yeah. so yeah. So then all of that mm -hmm. money, Kickstarter takes a cut of that. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, there are definitely ways around it, uh, and I wish I had known that at the time. Mm-hmm. Well, and like I said, we built in shipping into the, the cost of right. our game. So obviously Kickstarter was taking a chunk of it. Yeah. I, I wish I could do it that way, like offer that free shipping. But yeah. with like decks of cards, I can't I can't put the shipping cost into the deck of cards because like the de the deck of card kind of community on Kickstarter. There's only so much money. Yeah. Well, yeah, and like you cards, have yeah. to you have to price it at a certain bracket, otherwise yeah. otherwise nobody's gonna be People are like, why is this deck of cards twenty five dollars? I don't understand. exactly, <laughs> exactly. That was my yeah. that was my original plan. I'm like, I'm going to do a twenty dollar deck because you know this is going to be nice, right? But then I look at all these other decks that are like primo, really nice, insane, yeah. and they're going for like fifteen. I'm like, oh gosh, oh, okay. Man. I guess yeah. I got it. Yeah. Well, that's so, also like a volume thing, right? Like you can end it up is. in a scenario where you know, since we're 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 smaller size Kickstarters, you can only order a minimum amount. But if you could order a ton more, the price per unit comes way down. So yeah, just things to think about. Yeah, which is also why I ended up pushing up to getting a thousand decks versus like mm -hmm. just what was ordered. If I only um, if I only bought what was ordered, I think it would have been like four hundred decks of cards. So obviously, a significant price difference. But then the mm -hmm. price per deck would have gone up if I went with only what was ordered. Yeah. So getting more, the thousand was like, yeah, yeah. To like reinvest, right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess this slides right into the, like a, a follow up question of what did you guys learn from running your first Kickstarters that you can move on to your next uh, Kickstarter? 
Uh, everything. <laughs> yeah, like like I said, our, our our whole first you know Kickstarter moving into the game space was about like how do we do this on a larger scale as we continue to build. So, you know, we we shot our own Kickstarter video. We I did all the graphic design. Uh, we did all the advertising. And we did the shipping. Like the two of us literally did everything. So, yeah, yeah. Um, I I learned a lot. Uh, you know, um, well, it, it started just with thinking about like what kind of what kind of stuff I want to make, right? And and really, it just kind of happened all of a sudden. Like I I was hanging out with my family, we were playing cards, and I've played cards my whole life. Like that's just like a family thing that that we do. And then I was uh, starting doing conventions, and and I was just thinking about like what products I can do besides prints. Cause like my prints don't really move. So like what, what other things can I do? And then I'm just sitting there looking at these playing cards. I'm like, you know what, this will work. And so I just took that idea and then did lots and lots of research. Um, uh, I, I can't tell you how many different Kickstarters I read and studied and, you know, looked at their pledge tiers and looked at this and watched hours of youtube videos on you know how to calculate shipping how to you know prep your kick uh, leading up to this what what's up we lost you, you, you froze for a second but i think you're good oh now. i did sorry um i i do a lot of learning like how to video edit you know my kickstarter video isn't that great but like i had to learn how to do that for for this uh this Kickstarter and and all kinds of things um, I had to learn and uh, luckily I also have a background in graphic design so like that wasn't too difficult like you know I could do some of that but uh, yeah doing everything yourself it can be kind of overwhelming but with everything that I learned the next one is only going to be better it's going to be <laughs> it's going to be quicker it's going to be more efficient I'll have a better idea of the, the costs involved you know just like what I talked about with shipping I'll know that you know, I could charge that after or, um, you know, using things like uh, like a, a backer kit or, or whatever they're called. Um, also, learning about things like customs. I bought my deck, uh, my uh, my decks internationally and ended up being, you know, five thousand or yeah, five thousand dollars worth. And customs didn't like that very much. <laughs> so that, I guess there's like a $2,000 limit or something like that before uh, they start asking questions. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, I got a phone call while I was at a convention and it was kind of scary, but it ended up being fine. Um, but yeah, so like little things like that, uh, even though it wasn't anything like I was really lucky in that nothing was detrimental. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't make any, you know, glaring mistakes um i made a big one but we can come back around oh oh I'll, yeah i'll want to know about that but uh but yeah so the the things that i've learned will definitely make the next kickstarter easier i think and and better overall yeah. so yeah what what happened gavin okay yeah. so i actually like this just i had blocked it out of my memory but <laughs> oh i'm, I'm sorry to sorry didn't to cost, open the wound <laughs> no it's fine it's fine it, it didn't cost money it cost time so mm. um time is money yeah, exactly. So we had a kind of a harebrained idea to try to push the game's marketing. Uh, we did this thing that was so so the the game's called Bullets and Teeth, um, and it's it's the first one is like a kind of a zombie survival horror whatever. It's it's in the vein of like Ash versus Evil Dead that kind of stuff. Um, and so we were like, well, what if we had people like 
make themselves look like zombies and then post pictures on social media and maybe we could drum up some kind of something. I don't know. Like at least get people to to say something to their own friends group, right? This is a terrible idea. <laughs> but the the worst part was we were like, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to pick a few like our favorites and we're going to put them on one of the cards, right? So one of the cards is just like a basic group of zombies called shamblers. And so we're like, we'll take these these pictures from our backers and we'll find the best ones and then we'll all draw them as zombies on the card. And sounds cool, right? Maybe. <laughs> this project like extended our timeline by like three months because oh, wow. we had to find oh, no. we had to Holy find crap. like the best photos and then I'm like now I have to figure out how to put them on a card and like am I gonna oh, am I gonna like uh and then we had to like contact all the people and make sure we had permission to use the photos even oh. though they sort of just did it. It's like okay let's make sure that everything's cool and like <laughs> oh it was a mess. So so don't do that. But also <laughs> don't bloat the scope of your project at past it's de it, it, it's deliverables right like yes stretch goals i think do this are like sort of notorious for doing this but make sure that um i i almost had like want to say try to have your project 100 percent done before you even kickstart it like it's done ready to go this yep. is just to fund it and then especially with the first one because things get get crazy after the project's done because there's just so much going on there's people messaging you there's there's people calling you on the phone like customs right like <laughs> mm -hmm. there's, there's just so much going on post project that things get pushed off and then there's horror stories where people have taken years to fulfill their kickstarter even when it's been super successful so don't do that especially mm -hmm. with the first one because that first one is the first impression right it's like yes you want to be on time as much as possible and we built a buffer a little bit into our delivery date uh, I think we said we'd we'd ship within like six months after the Kickstarter, uh, but we could have shipped within probably four if we hadn't done this project. So this this little add-on, it's like, ugh, it's bad, it's bad. <laughs> um, so but to that concept of bloat, like, and the advice, yeah. you know, to don't do that. How do you know if you're doing that or not? Because stretch goals look real tempting, and you start thinking about all of the fun things that you can do. You guys have. Um, tips or suggestions for how people can anticipate the amount of time it, that mm -hmm. is going to be involved understanding that there's no universality everybody's kickstarter is different there's no way there's no silver bullet but if we're going to say don't do something is there right. some way that we can help people sort of like objectify yeah what it is they're going to be getting themselves into mm-hmm uh, yeah, just pay pay attention to the uh, to the math of it, right? Like uh, like on on my Kickstarter, I had a couple of stretch goals on there, but they, I mean, we didn't meet them because I I set them pretty high because I, I wanted to, you know, if if we hit them, cool, but if not, I won't be hurt. Um, like one of them was like you know little custom seals on on the deck, and that would have been like I think it's like a ten cent per deck difference which really isn't that big of a deal and it costs me no time mm. like that's that's a stretch goal that you know looks looks nice but it isn't something that's gonna make or break me right whereas if i'm doing you know this silly idea i heard about where i you know you take somebody's photo where there's zombies and try and put them on a card <laughs> like you know that's a lot of time that. if <laughs> that, that is that is a lot of extra time and expense <laughs> 
yeah. for, you know, for something that may not work. What you can do instead are things like add-ons. For example, um, uh, for my Kickstarter as well, instead of it being a stretch goal, I did an add-on where if you want to buy a, you know, a single custom card, um, you, know, you, you pay an extra 200 bucks or an extra 300 bucks or whatever. And then, you know, you get like one additional special card, but you know, that's not a stretch goal. That's an add on. Uh, I've seen people ruin themselves with, with stretch goals that end up costing so much time and money that it, it way exceeds the original cost of the pledge. And then, you know, your um, the, the artist or whatever is, is yeah, bleeding themselves dry, trying to get these things done that they promised because they didn't expect that they would actually meet the stretch goal or they, don't, they just don't think about it enough, you know, because that was probably one of the hardest things of setting up the Kickstarter is thinking, you know, what in the hell could I do? Like, what, what do I want to do for a stretch goal? I don't, I don't know what I want to do. And so people will just write random things that sound cool and then <laughs> not think, oh, wait, what if this actually happens? What if we yeah. make it? Can I then, can I do what I promise? And that's scary. So um, when we built our campaign, we had two tiers and that was it. It was the base game and then it was the like special edition that was only available on a Kickstarter. Um, and the stuff that we built into the game, uh, the, the, the special edition was like a special box cover, like the, the cover of the box was different. Uh, and then it was a play mat and then a like a foil there's a special card called the bait, which is like how the game's played. The bait card gets passed around the table and that's who's about to get eaten by the zombies. So we're like, well, let's let's try to make that look cool. So we had a special bait card um, and the play mat was a terrible idea because it weighs a lot. So try to keep that stuff in mind. <laughs> uh, you, also, you also have to think about like things that will fit in the box to be shipped because um, anything that changes any kind of shipping variable is very difficult. I think people get into to um, problems with stretch goals because of that. It's mm -hmm. like there, there's so many factors to think of that I like. I think especially for a first project, it, I would almost say, and the, you know, this is what ha be, just because of my experience is that um, I wouldn't even do stretch goals. Um, we did a few, and it was only because, like, initially at the beginning of the project, I was like, I don't think we should do stretch goals. And, you know, my business partner and I talking back and forth about it, and eventually we were like, well, everyone else in the games space does stretch goals. And I was kind of like, okay, I don't want to, but let's go ahead and put a few in there. And, and all we really did was, like, upgrades to the game itself so it was like um a, a nicer box or upgraded card stock and then we were going to do like uh linen texture on the cards and like you know eventually we're up to like magnetic box you know clothes and stuff like that but we didn't end up going that high that was stuff we had set much higher that and we knew the cost of all that stuff going into it it's like okay this is going to add this much cost so we're going to set it at this amount um but it just sort of adds as unnecessary complication. And then also you have to explore all of those things before you say, yes, we can do this. Because one of our stretch goals was linen card texture on our cards. And we ordered a sample of it. That's one of the stretch goals we hit. Sample shows up and I look at the card and I go, this won't work. It, it makes the art look terrible. Hmm. Right? Just because like the texture, the, the linen texture on the card like washes the artwork out and it just looks really bad. And so we're like, okay, well, now we have to go back to our backers and say, hey, this linen card texture doesn't work, but we're going to do this instead. And so I think we ended up just um, upgrading the card stock or something instead. I don't remember exactly. But 
Um, and backers were totally cool with it. It was no big deal. Nobody was mad. Um, but yeah, but I, I mean, that, that's the thing too. So, yeah. Oh, sorry. Keep going. No, no, no you're good. You're good. <laughs> uh, that's the thing too. Like do your research, do your, your test prints, like be yeah. patient with it. If your Kickstarter <clears throat> isn't, isn't ready, then, then don't do it yet. Yeah. It's okay. Like I, I ordered, gosh, probably, uh, maybe $200 worth of samples, which, which isn't very much. Like I, I've talked to board game people who have spent thousands of dollars on yeah. prototyping and stuff. Um, but you have to do that because if you're, you know, if your product isn't right, then when people finally back it and then you ship it out, even if you know it's not right, you know, some people are going to have some issues with it and, right. you know, I wouldn't blame them. Um, but yeah, if, if you're going to do stretch goals and things too, order, order samples of those stretch goals to see if it's actually something that'll work. Yeah. Now, um, can sorry, I dig, ahead. can I dig into that idea of, of stretch goals just a little bit more? Cause you were against it. Your business partner kind of talked you into it. Do you have a sense of how Kickstarters that don't have stretch goals do compared to um, those that do incorporate them? So in the board game space, I'm not so sure because so many board games do Kickstarter or do um, stretch goals. Like it's it's basically like every board game does stretch goals, and it's a lot of times what they'll do is they'll make an expansion for their game and then they'll piece it into their stretch goals so that like mm. they're slowly sort of feeding in expansion content. Okay. Or sometimes it's like, oh, here's a whole expansion, and then now everybody just gets that included. And it's things that like it almost feels like day one DLC for video games where like it's something that either could have been in the game, but they withheld it to, to, to use it as an incentive or it's an expansion that wasn't tested enough or like, there's all these things that can go wrong that for me, I was like, there's just too many variables here for us. Um, but that's going up against what everybody else is doing. So in, in the board game space, I don't know, but in the art space, I know that, I don't. I don't think stretch goals really even matter at all in the art space. Um, I agree. You know, a lot of the a lot of the the projects I've seen from from artists that the, there's. I don't feel like there's either even much of a difference uh, as far as the campaigns um, and m the amount they can raise. I've seen really really successful artist kickstarters that don't have stretch goals. So. Yeah, I, I don't think you need. I don't think you need stretch goals to convince your your uh, fans to buy from right. you. They, they already right. want to support you, so. That you might be gotta, the main. That might be the biggest difference too. Is like who I you're marketing so to. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Board games. You're you're trying to get as many, you know, as as many people as possible. You, you know, the likelihood of you having those fans buying from you directly is a lot, or at least yeah. the percentage is a lot lower. Whereas, like you know, an art deck or prints or your art book, that's much more marketed to your fan base that already exists. Plus, whoever wants to buy it, of course. But yeah, yeah. And you know, sort of anecdotally of course but like i i do wonder if it's a matter of if if your your target audience is narrow right it's like okay i'm gonna i'm gonna go narrow and deep on this target audience so i'm gonna try to you know get a higher amount per backer with this audience versus going wide and trying to get a smaller amount from a lot a mm -hmm. lot more people yeah i guess the lesson there is think about what kind of product you're going to be putting up and then look at as part of your research look at other yeah. similar products and see what they've done yeah. Do you, do, yeah is there a um any sort of credence to tracking down the actual people that have been involved in other kickstarter projects and hitting them up for info was that something that you guys did or have heard about doing 
I mean, I, I know a lot of artists that have run Kickstarters, so that's where the majority of my info came uh -huh. from. I didn't really track down anybody in the board game space. Most of that research was basically just looking at other successful Kickstarters and trying to glean, like, well, why did they do this? Why did they do that? And why does this cost this much? And um, most of that stuff came to light because of product research. It was like, okay, well, yeah, obviously the goal is 29000 because that's how much money we have to raise due to all these different costs. So... Yeah, I I didn't really talk to any like uh, anybody specific about like a playing card Kickstarter. Um, I did talk to you, Gavin, actually about Kickstarter generally. Um, we had a Hangouts call a long time ago, but but yeah, it was just like a, <laughs> no, it, it was good. It was good okay, cool. uh, because I mean because I I went I I, uh, I just thought you know what maybe I'll try a Kickstarter and I do I knew nothing about it. Yeah. Um, and so talking to you helped me generally understand what Kickstarter was about, especially when you started talking about, you know, uh, goal versus cost and things like that. And, and yeah. so that helped a lot. But as far as like, um, you know, somebody in like who did a playing card Kickstarter, I didn't talk to anybody. I probably could have. But mostly I just read a lot of Kickstarters and looked at, you know, what ones were successful, what ones were not. Um, and, and analyzing, you know, looking at their, um, their rewards, you know, what they were offering and really a lot of them were actually pretty much the same. And so I was actually trying to offer something different and that's where mm -hmm. like the, the custom cards came in, mm -hmm. but that was really interesting research, uh, figuring out what did well, what didn't, and then what I could do different to add to that space. Um, I probably could have talked to more people, though. I think that would have helped a few things. <laughs> yeah. um, well, Gavin, I want to just go back way back um, real quickly, because yeah. there was a quick little phrase that you said earlier on in our conversation. You said, at least not at first. And I think we were talking about Kickstarter being, you know, a money making mm. yeah. uh, opportunity. And yeah. so you're. I'm curious for you to expand on the not yet. Are there spaces well, that Kickstarters can expand into that can actually become profitable? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, so, I mean, there's been a lot of Kickstarters where people have made stupid money. Like, it's happened. But what I, what, what a lot of it is, um, at least from my observation, has been the ones that really go crazy are the ones that, that are, have either an audience off of Kickstarter mm -hmm. or they're ones that have built you know, and a following on Kickstarter. There's actually been quite a few uh, game companies that Kickstarter is basically their business model. Like, um, you know, there's there's uh, famously Gloomhaven and, and Kingdom Death are some really big Kickstarter games that have been, like, they've gone gangbusters. Like, certain, like, like you can't, with Kingdom Death, though, okay, sorry, I'm getting a little tangential here, but um, means Kingdom yeah, Kingdom Death, uh, I think, was a game that ended up being very successful out of the gate. Um, and a lot of it had to do with they were doing something that was way, like, a higher tier, I guess, than what a lot of people were doing at the time. They had very sophisticated miniatures. The game was, like, incredible. It was huge. It was, it was almost the first of these, like, big box games, as I've come to call them, where it's just a really, it's a really expensive game, and it's huge. And they were one of the first people to move into that space. And so that, that product, like it, it blew up, right? But a lot of these game companies, they start small, they grow an audience, they continue to deliver on time, uh, they reinvest in themselves. And over time, you end up making more and more money each project. 
Like that's really, I think the goal, right? It's, it's snowballing and, and bringing more people into your ecosystem. And eventually it's like, yeah, okay. So we didn't make any money on our first game. Maybe our second game will make a little bit of money. Third game will make a little more money. Fourth game, maybe we're making good money. Who knows, right? Like, um, and there's, there's also a lot of other avenues besides Kickstarter too, at that point where you have a, a, a bunch of product that now you can potentially get on store shelves or, or whatever mm-hmm. you're going to end up doing with it or market after the fact, but also the more games you have, the more things you have to, you have to sell to the next people that you bring into your ecosystem. So, you know, we have game number one, game number two, you're going to be able to add on game number one, you know, as, as part of the campaign. So mm-hmm. I, I feel like I got kind of uh, mixed around there, but <laughs> no, not, not at all. Um, I am just wondering you, you, you spoke mostly in terms of games, but do you think that the yeah. same can be said for artists that, you know, maybe aren't putting out, um, well, obviously they're putting out a different kind of product. Forgive me, Blake, for putting you on the spot, but no, no, it's good. Please. Um, that actually happens a lot on this podcast, but <laughs> um, I think about Blake's project, you know, Omen Shard, um, mm-hmm. and there's like a lot of things that could come out of that project. The card deck just being the first one, a, a board game down the who knows. I'm totally mm-hmm. speaking for Blake and his ideas, um, but just thinking about you know the just smaller projects to start with um, as part of you know a kind of like a larger overarching kind of thing not necessarily just for the sake of building up a community around a game or a set of games or whatever you know but an artist that's trying to just manufacture or construct a, a following around the the broad scope of things that they that they put out mm-hmm. do you think that kind of what, what you're talking about applies there as well are you asking oh, yeah. Here, like, yeah, who are you asking? <laughs> well, sorry, I, I now I'm sort of washing all over the place. Um, no, no. I, that, w- that question was directed at Gavin because you were speaking okay, specifically okay. about games. I was just sort of using yeah. Blake's project as an sure. example because it has a very wide ranging sort of like set of applications. But I'm also thinking of, you know, just other artists in general outside yeah. of games, just generating a community and a following around their work through, via get- Kickstarter. Yeah. Um... So there's sort of this this pipeline, I guess, that you can create for yourself where you you're you're kind of trying this is getting a little bit outside of Kickstarter, but you're you're almost trying to get like as much of your audience involved at each step as you can. Um and and uh, a lot of artists will start like you make a piece of art, you 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 have a Patreon, right? So you're just getting sort of paid to make the piece of artwork. Uh and then after that piece of art's done, you make prints of it and you sell it at conventions. And then after those, those, uh, you have enough prints, you gather them into a book and you put it on Kickstarter, right? And then, and now you can kickstart kick, kick this book. And now you have that book now to sell at conventions. Um, and so there's kind of this like stepped process where the more of your audience you can get involved at each of those steps, the, the more money you, you know, you're sort of able to make, um, and th- this is in terms of just like you know, marketing stuff. Like, I don't know. I, I I feel a little weird being like, well, just making a bunch of money is your goal. You do it this way. Because, uh, you know, obviously money is important, but it's not everything. Um, so I also like to think about it in terms of like what you can continue to achieve. Right. So so your first project might be small, but you build on it for the next one and you keep building. You can do more and bigger, interesting things and, you know, reinvest that money again and again and again. And and end up going where you want to go rather than just being like, well, I'm going to just make these one-offs. So I think that like, 
yes, every Kickstarter you do, I think you should kind of think about it in terms of like, okay, well, how does how does this apply to the next thing, and how can it uh, build on it? And and whether it's like, okay, well, I did one book, and now I'm going to do the second book, and maybe they're just art books, right? So it's like I have one art book, and then the second art book comes out after that, but on the second art book project, you can also get the first book. And then now I've got three books. And so the third project, you can buy one, two or three books, or you can get a, a, all three books in a bundle, right? Like there, there's all these little sort of things you can do that it, it builds on itself, you know, as long as you're thinking in those terms. So I hope that answers the question. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think so. Sorry. I, sorry. I, I premised it so sloppily. No, no, um, no, that's not good. But, uh, Pro in the chat has an interesting question. Um, how do you combine time working on the product and working on your daily bread income? How do you keep afloat and have time to work on your product? Kind of a time management question. Blake, you want to go first? <laughs> Heavy side. <laughs> I don't know that I have a very helpful answer to that question. Um, uh, because, I mean, obviously your your bills come first, right? There's, there's nothing you can do about that. Um, so... I would say either, you know, you need to have some system, you, you know, if you're, if you're by yourself, then, you know, you maybe even take a regular job so that you can save that creative energy for after the fact, which is actually what, what I had. I, I had a, a graphic design job for, for a long time. And you would think that graphic design is, is more creative, but I don't know. I, it was very mindless. So I was able to save all of that creative energy for, um, for after hours. I would then go home, have dinner, and then, uh, start streaming and just work on my own stuff. And so, mm -hmm. so that worked really well. Uh, after I lost that job and started, you know, and then I needed to, um, you know, do art full time, uh, I probably could have tried to find another job, but I'm like, you know what, let's try this out. But now all of that art is, um, I'm spending my, my creative pool on that, which isn't a bad thing. It's paying my bills, but then my personal art kind of ends up getting pushed to the side a little bit. So I'm still trying to find that balance of doing both and it's difficult. Mm -hmm. um, but, uh, but one thing you can do is to try and maximize what you do with your full-time art. Um, for example, all of the commissions that I do are for private clients. I'm not really doing work for companies. So I'm able to retain the rights to uh, almost all of that work so I can use it for, you know, whatever else I'm doing. Um, like for example, I'm working on a painting right now for a client. Uh, it's, it's their D and D character, but I'm formatting it in a way that could look good on uh, a card, uh, like a magic, the gathering card or as a play mat. Um, so, so I, I'm thinking ahead on how to make this piece of work fit on different products so that I can get the most out of, um, the time that I'm putting in so that I feel less sad about not working on my personal art. But it, so, yeah, it, it's all a balance. Um, yeah. One thing I'm trying to work out right now is just, you know, scheduling that time. Like me and like Moose keeps telling me like, dude, just do a power hour during your stream, just one hour of personal art. And I'm like, okay, I'll do it. And then I, and then I still haven't, but it's one day, like five months, I know. <laughs> we need to have a podcast just where we talk to Moose about all of the reasons why we can't do all of the things that he tells dude, us that I we should <laughs> turn this around. So yeah. You know, I, I think my, I guess, bit of advice in this area is very similar to Blake's in that um, early on, it's similar to the sort of same Kickstarter advice, right? Like your first thing that you're doing might not be making you any money. It's just a matter of snowballing. It's a matter of of starting 
from nothing, it that's the hardest part, right? Is when you start from nothing. So, you know, when I switched to being a full-time illustrator, I had a full-time graphic design job. Um, I did a mentorship for six months. Um, and that really got me into the routine of what it was going to take for me to make that leap. So I got up, I went to work, I came home, I had an hour after I came home from work. Uh, and then I started working on art till midnight. And then I went to bed and I got up the next day and I did it again. And Saturday and Sunday, I worked all day, um, basically all, you know, 14 hours, 16 hours or whatever um, was art. And I did, I could only keep that up for six months. And, and, I don't want to tell anybody that that's what you have to do, but that is what I had to do at the time to get myself over the the hump um, was I needed to build a body of work that was like, okay, I have this work and now I can do something with it. And um, I did it maybe faster than what other people will need to, because I was like, I've got six months or I've got, you know, it, it took me and ended up taking me like a year before uh, I moved into full-time illustration. Um, but you know that I, I I hear this question a lot. You know, there's a lot of people that are like, "How do you do this?" And my, I think if I to put it as succinctly as possible, it's routine. It's figure out sacred time that is. I'm working on my pro my product. I'm working on my project, whatever it is. And it's every day. Uh, this is the you know from from this time to this time. This is this is it. And I'm not doing anything else. All other distractions in my life are pushed to the sides this is my time to work on this thing. Um, so basically don't go to church for your sacred time, go to work for your sacred time. <laughs> sure. Well, it, I think it's also uh, realizing where your time is being spent. You know, how many times a day do you catch yourself just staring at your phone doing this? You know, yeah. you, you add up all of that time and it could be a pretty significant chunk, you yeah. know, it, make it, make it a, a habit almost every time you pick up your phone, realize and be like, Oh, uh, let's let's go draw something real quick. You know, pick up a sketchbook instead, and yeah. you'll you'll find that you'll get a lot done doing that. Also, I would, um, you know, envy is the the thief of 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 happiness, right? Like, I would honestly, I would just ignore social media completely. <laughs> it's actually what I've started to do this year. I, I was like, you know what? This is this is unhealthy. Like, mm. I've been it 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 forces you to compare yourself to other people and you feel like you're never going to be able to get to where somebody else is. And, but you're not seeing their struggle. All you're seeing is their highlight reel. And so, you know, I, uh, I, I disengaged basically since COVID, I was like, I don't, I was also wondering like what it was even adding in terms of value to, to me, like as an artist, I yes. was like, this, this isn't even really like, okay, I post an image and then I'm worried about how many likes it gets. And then when one gets less likes than another, I'm like, was it a bad piece? No, no yeah. it's the freaking yeah. algorithm. Like who cares? Right. Like, yeah. it's, you know, and I, and I've got a, a, a little bit of a following on Instagram and it has not done anything for me. You know, that's so, uh, you yeah. mentioned, uh, never not seeing the, the work that led, led up to other people's successes, right. Yeah. Whether it's on, uh, Instagram or Patreon or their, uh, their Kickstarter. But one thing that came up in chat earlier was critical role. How yeah. three, like three or four years before they uh, put up their, their uh, Kickstarter, they had been doing content for everybody for free. Mm -hmm. Yep. And this was also similar with, uh, I've seen people doing it with um, 2d printable minis where they released hundreds of pieces of free stuff before they even started charging a dime for anybody from anybody. Yeah. Yeah. So just have to keep in mind that, Sometimes you have to do a lot of work for free for people in order for them to support you later. That's yeah. And, uh, you know, for me, 
I see like there's sort of two paths, right? There's the I'm going to spend a lot of time path. And then there's the I need money to invest path. And neither one of those paths are correct. It's, it's almost like life is pay to win, right? Like it's frustrating, but it's sort of like you can you can devote tons and tons of time to get yourself over this hump or you can work a job and save money and, and invest that money correctly to get yourself over the hump, right? Like those are sort of your two options and you're probably somewhere in the middle of those two things, right? Like that's going to be time. Obviously the skill aspect of it is you're not going to be able to, to pay somebody to upload your brain with how to make art, but that's just going to take time. But as far as I think Kickstarters are concerned, that was that was more our path was we didn't spend a whole lot of time up front so we knew we were gonna have to spend money on advertising right and i was the opposite uh i you know as i was making the thing i was doing it all live so yeah. I, I i felt like i didn't have to invest in it later yeah even though i probably should have yeah i think the combination of both maybe that's yeah also... absolutely yeah i think yeah. i heard it on the three point perspective podcast that they suggested if you're going to spend money on advertisement, don't spend less than $10,000. Hard, <laughs> hard disagree, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess I'm never yeah. advertising. <laughs> no, nah, I don't think that's true at all. I think that um, if, if you think that you need $10,000 to invest in advertising, or if somebody tells you that they, you need to hand them $10,000 in advertising, do not do that. <laughs> yeah. What was the, what was the context for that? Like what, like what, so well, first of all, saying, like if you're uh, going to spend less than ten thousand dollars, it's not going to have that much of an impact. What yeah, kind of maybe company? if you're looking to make a million bucks on right, what kind of com- what guess, kind of company but... is it that they're doing or that they that they run? That was their art book, I believe. Yeah, I remember. I actually remember them talking about this. I don't. I don't remember a hundred percent the context, but it was about Kickstarter. Um, and so uh, I come from a marketing background. Like my my. Um, graphic design job was for a software as a service company, you know, sort of tech industry thing. Um, and I was very closely connected with their email campaigns and their uh, pay-per-click advertising. And that was sort of the stuff I was doing. So if you understand how Facebook advertising works, you're not going to waste $10,000. Like you don't even need $10,000. Like that, that is just a weird arbitrary number that somebody just said. And I, and I hate being the guy who's like, whatever, being so anti, but I'm like, look, if you take $500 and you put it in Facebook ads and you, you you use that $500 to experiment and figure out which of those ads is actually working and you find one that works, you just push money into that ad as long as it's working. And you're you're not losing that money. It's an investment. And it doesn't matter if you have 500 or 10,000. It's like you, you're trying to find that ad that resonates and then you're you're pumping money into that ad. So, so bringing, um, oh, sorry, you, if you weren't done. No, no, that's it. That's a good, yeah, good. Well, bringing it back to Kickstarters, um, you know, what you just said, find the ad that's working in relation yeah. in relating this back to Kickstarters. How would you gauge an ad that is working? Um, well, you need to look at like how much it's costing you to get somebody to click on that ad, to take somebody to your Kickstarter, to get somebody to buy your thing. Um, yeah, it's cost per acquisition, right? So, so your let's say it costs me 25 cents for somebody to click my ad, but it costs me $5 for somebody to actually buy my game, right? So I'm getting more clicks than I am getting pur- purchases. And that's just sort of how the funnel works. Like each step of the funnel, you're losing people. So if it costs me $5 to get somebody to go from my Facebook ad to my Kickstarter to buy my game, I'm building that now into the cost of my product. So let's say my game costs $5. 
I I spent another five dollars getting somebody to buy it. That means my my now now my my cost of product is ten dollars. So I'm selling it for yeah uh, fifteen or whatever. So now I'm making five dollars still. I'm still profiting five dollars. And as long as you're thinking about volume, you can you can get that margin pretty narrow. Or if, especially if you're thinking of I just want to bring people into my Kickstarter. Like we we had over twelve hundred backers, and we're like let's just get people in here. Even if we're razor thin margins, as long as we're not losing money on these people, we'll keep putting money into that ad. So, you know, it's it's not it's not like you're just throwing ten thousand dollars out there. That ten thousand dollars will come back, but you have to be I, real sure about where. Yeah, you're well, well, the thing is, you, Facebook gives you all this data. Like it's all right there. Well, so that's so, what I was that's what I was going to ask for more clarification on because I've done yeah. Facebook ads. <sighs> It's, it's not even worth commenting what I've, what I've done. Yeah. I don't, don't think that I've done them as well as I could. So mm-hmm. I have to ask just stupid questions. Yeah. How do you, where do you even look to know what the click through rate, you know, what the actual yeah. like follow through rate has been in that chain of events between this is how much it cost me to get them to click. They went there. They, yeah. you, you know, how, what's the follow up? How do you read the follow up? So Facebook ad manager will tell you like how much you're paying per click. And then you have to go into Kickstarter and look at like, okay, this is how many people we've had come in through Facebook. Like like Kickstarter will tell you specifically the URL that these people came from. And so you can track, okay, they came in through this ad. This is how many people backed our, our project from this ad. And that's why we knew that board game geek was a terrible investment for us because we paid, I don't know, $2,500 and we got like, 30 people to to back our project maybe even less than that and it was like this is terrible return on investment <laughs> so yeah you just you just sort of you, you have to follow the through line and be like okay well like i said the the clicks are costing me 25 cents but out of those clicks you know uh, five you know 25 clicks or whatever i get one conversion so then you sort of do a little bit of conversion math and realize like okay this this one purchase cost me five dollars or whatever it is i'm just pulling numbers i don't i can't do the math in my head um but that's how you'll know like okay this is my cost per acquisition and once you know that number you can just like i said build it into the cost of your product so. okay right. and some, sometimes it's not that direct like with a kickstarter it is that direct but let's say you're advertising for your instagram and you just want to build followers that doesn't have a direct like acquisition right you're just you're assuming that paying the money for that ad is going to get you followers which then eventually turns into money potentially or or it turns into social credibility because that unfortunately is a thing where if somebody has more followers on whatever they seem like they're a more successful artist so so the the key word here is analytics and yes. for the uh, the the uh, the others the other uninitiated in the audience like myself do the figure out even just like where you go to look for those analytics, like type into mm-hmm. Google, maybe like, where do I find the analytics for Kickstarter? Where do I find the analytics for Facebook advertisements? Because yeah, I, th- I feel like these are a lot of behind yeah. the scenes things that maybe people don't it's, think yeah. about that if they knew it's more about of, it. Yeah, go ahead. Kind of feels like alchemy if you don't really know what's totally, going on, right? You're like, totally. oh, people are just making money off these ads, right? But uh, yeah, Facebook ad manager is where all that information is. It's it, Part of it is like, you kind of have to know how to read it, I guess. But like cost per click is really the most important thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Kickstarter also just gives you all that data. It's just in the back end somewhere. I want to say it's just, they have an analytics section or something, but mm-hmm. you're just sort of matching up like where people are coming from and how much you're spending on it to get them okay. from that source. Yeah. 
isn't there also a way to integrate uh, Facebook ads into your website so you know who's been to your website and you can advertise to them on Facebook? Um, I would imagine so. I don't know how to do it, but I'm, I, I, th there's all kinds of stuff that, yeah, you can figure out, like, there, there's tracking data on this person that came from your website to Facebook to wherever, but I don't, I don't know how to do it that granular at this point. The, the um, wisest among us probably no i feel like that that like you said alchemy like so much of this is yeah so cryptic <laughs> so yeah, weird it's like yeah. decoding the fucking pyramids or something um but coming back to kickstarter whole hog um and the numbers there tell it let's talk a little bit more about the chunk that kickstarter takes um mm -hmm. they take a fair amount maybe you could tell us a little bit more about you know what somebody can expect to have uh taken from their uh from the pledge amounts and what are some ways that uh, you can minimize the amount that kickstarter is going to take from you or offset the amount of uh damage that that's going to do blake you want to start with that one uh sure um i don't remember the exact amount that they took i think it was 30 percent is that 30 right? is it that much a third mm. that, that sounds like a lot I mean, well, yeah. so they, they take like a five percent fee off the top uh and then they also take like payment processing fees so um yeah i don't know about 30 percent that seems really high to me um let's see if i can find the exact but, re but remember you have to pay taxes too so don't forget about taxes. that's very true <laughs> right well, that might be the 30 percent number while Blake is looking uh, for more information on that, yeah, three to five percent. Sorry, Gavin, do you have some some thoughts on that on like what people can do to sort of offset? I mean, I almost, I mean, maybe this is a hot take, I guess, but like I kind of don't even worry about it. I'm okay. like, it, it's part of just doing business within the Kickstarter ecosystem. Like, if you're really concerned about taking getting that five percent taken out then don't run a Kickstarter. Like instead you could run pre-orders through your own website or, or something like that. Right. There's, there's other alternatives, but you know, it's, I, I don't know. I I'm sure there's ways to kind of minimize your exposure to the Kickstarter fees, you know, like the, the getting a pledge manager that'll handle shipping separately, but like even the pledge managers are going to take a percentage. So yeah, I'll know, take I, the heat for that. Cause I wrote that question thinking it was 30%, but I, probably just sort of, uh, saw the uh, tax percent. Yeah, yeah. Make sure you build in like 30% for taxes. Yeah, that's <laughs> that is real. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I guess I just see it as kind of cost of cost of doing business. You know, it's there's going to be fees involved. Mm -hmm. People need to get paid. So I I don't know. I think it's just part of being in the Kickstarter system. So no, I don't think that's a very helpful answer, but <laughs> no, no, that's it's... the correct answer at this point, having been the different percent than what I had thought about. Yeah, oh, we were okay. we had we had different uh different information. So you you cleared... if it was 30% then definitely you would Yeah, I would like Yeah. I I don't remember worrying about it too much. I think the number that I was most concerned about was getting my shipping correct. Mm -hmm. uh, cuz yeah. those numbers can really surprise you. Yep. Uh like I was shocked that it cost me like $20 to send a deck of playing cards to Australia. Yep. Like, unbelievable numbers that's, that's why we did distribution the way that we did so and and again yeah. that's something that is like usually done on much larger projects but for us it was like we want to figure this out so we can build our business further and when we are hopefully larger we'll already know how to do it mm -hmm. um but yeah otherwise yeah you're, you're gonna have to charge a substantial amount for any international backers the other thing you can do to try to like 
you know, take your, your game as, or whatever you have as a mock-up and mail it to yourself um, and make sure that like, okay, this is how much it's going to weigh. Like it's going to cost you more to mail it from, let's, you know, I'm in Oregon. Let's say I'm mailing something to New York. That's going to cost more than me mailing it to myself, but at least you'll know how much it's going to weigh right. accurately, that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. I bought myself a scale. I bought a label maker. I bought, uh, I, I actually did stamps.com to do everything. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah, that was, that way I knew, I knew everything. I had everything right in front of me so that it, I wasn't walking up to, to the post office with a crate of, you know, yeah. 500 decks of cards to ship. Like <laughs> yeah, everybody in line is like, what is this guy doing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Do do all that figuring out beforehand and it'll, oh, and it'll save you. Make sure you weigh your packaging materials too. Don't just weigh yes. the product. Yeah, not just the product, the, the packaging product, material. In yeah. the bubble Do wrap, in the box, all of it. Yeah. Yeah. You'll be surprised at the difference. I mean, one ounce going over yeah. will, will make a huge difference. Tape it. Make sure it's taped too. Like do that ready mm-hmm. to go. <laughs> mm-hmm. I feel like this could have been two podcasts uh, running, a, run, starting a Kickstarter and running it. And then, all right, the, po- yeah. the post-mortem like shipping just a, yeah. just a fucking yeah. podcast on shipping um, i'm so glad that my business partner is a logistics guy i'm like all right man it's all you i'm done <laughs> so yeah i'm just glad that all i had to do was decks of cards uh yeah. and there's a there's a lot of uh shipping products and stuff like i found boxes online uh shipping boxes built just for single and double playing cards and i'm nice. like perfect i'm yep. just going to use these and they're they're great i mean i bought even more because i also sell like magic the gathering cards on the side just for fun <laughs> but nice. so they work in there too but um yeah like uh, th- that kind of goes back to what we were talking about too with like add-ons or or um or uh stretch goals and things like that like make sure all of that can fit in the right packaging too because that can also screw you uh one thing that i kind of regret doing actually was doing add-ons of prints because after a uh, thankfully only a couple of people bought those but then once people bought prints in addition to their deck of playing cards i'm like Oh, how do I package this? How do I ship this to them? Yep. Yeah. How do, how do I ship this stuff? That's and a problem. So, that's a yeah. problem we ran into with the play mats. Like our special edition had a had a play mat, which they weigh a lot, and they're also not like our our our. our hold on. Let's see if I still have it here. Here's the box for the game. Right. So we got the game, mm-hmm. and now we have a play mat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How do no, we? What? What do you we do? Ship, you you ship the box wrapped in the playmat. You that's yeah. that's your that's your packaging. Oh, perfect. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a little piece of duct tape around well, it. You're fine. You're I good. Playmat right here. Look at that. It's like I planned it. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, that was exactly the problem I had with the prints. So I had to like originally I would I would sell the or I would ship the prints like with cardboard backings. They would you know ship flat and I'd send them that way. But with this, I had to take them out of that packaging roll it up put it in the tube and then put like the deck of cards like in between it oh, <laughs> like, no. oh, it was yeah. it was so ghetto <laughs> but i'm like how i i don't want to ship two packages yeah yeah so yeah that that was one thing i'm glad i'm glad i was reminded of that that um yeah think about that if yeah. when you have add-ons you know what if this and this are purchased together how are you going to ship it i remember uh hearing from some, multiple places that there's a uh, books will ship for less than for uh other materials so mm-hmm. wouldn't it make sense to ship like art books instead of uh play mats if you have them 
Uh, I mean, so there's media mail, which is a different way to, to ship uh, books, um, but it's very slow. So keep that in mind first. Um, yeah, that, it's actually a, a, a trick that some artists will do is if they're selling a book, you, you can sell prints as add-ons and then you slip, you make sure that the prints can fit inside the book and then you slide those prints into the book and you put it in a box and ship it media mail and nobody knows the difference. So. But yeah, that's I think kind of the deal there. Do did either of you guys? Yeah, uh, you know, Blake talked a little bit about this much earlier in relation to the streaming that he does on Twitch and that sort of being a type of advertisement, uh, community building, uh, mm -hmm. building up hype around the um, the release. Is there anything else that you have thoughts about in terms of? Uh, bringing people's awareness up to speed aside from advertisement. I'm um, thinking mainly in terms of a mailing list. Um, do either of you guys keep a mailing list? Um, you know, recommend doing that as part of your, your Kickstarter uh, lead up and a follow-up to that. What do you guys do to draw people into that newsletter? Uh, I mean, I guess I can I'll talk about what I do first. Um, so my mailing list is all people that I've acquired through conventions. So, you know, when I'm doing a show, I've got my whole setup there. My email list is like front and center. It's like, okay, this is my, you know, get on my list. And I try to make it as easy as possible for people. So some people use like an iPad or something. I literally just like pen and paper because that's the lowest barrier to entry. Uh, it sucks afterward because I have pages of emails to input when I get home. But, <laughs> and sometimes people's handwriting suck, but um it, it for me it's yeah <laughs> for me it's all uh how do i make it as easy as possible for people um and then yeah that that's where my whole email list has come from is is uh, acquiring people through conventions um i do offer on my website like if you sign up for my and this is all my like art newsletter stuff because we don't have uh, a game specific newsletter um on my website i offer a free digital sketchbook so if you sign up for my email list on my website you get an email that's like here download your your free little PDF sketch, which is actually the first Kickstarter I did. That's where that sketchbook came from. So I just give a, a PDF version of it now that it's been a few years. So uh, I don't have a whole lot to add, um, but I'll just kind of share what I know. Like I, I do have an email list. Uh, you can sign up for it on my website. It's just right there. Uh, I also did the same thing um, at uh, conventions. I'd have a clipboard, pen and paper. They can sign up. The great thing about the email list um, that I think people don't appreciate enough is that people are actually inputting their information because they want to know more about yeah. what you do. Um, they they want to support you. They want to learn more about what you're doing. They are actively, you know, telling you, "I want this." Yep. Um, and uh, so you know, if if you're if you're an artist, just you know, and you have a website, just you know. Make, make a little a form thing that they can fill out uh, so they can add their email to your list. Uh, and I'm a dummy, and I haven't been using my emailing list, mostly because I've been preoccupied with, uh, um, you know, with commissions and things like that. Yeah. Uh, but as I want to get things, you know, churning again at the, the end of this year as well as next year, I'm going to be, yeah, sending some more of that stuff out. Um yeah, because that, I mean, that's important. That's like some of the best engagement uh, you can get, you know, because like you post on Instagram and your followers might might miss it. You post on Facebook, your followers might miss it. 
Uh, I would, you'll, be, I would, you'll be live on Twitch and people might miss your stream. But like yeah. email, that that's a notification straight to them. They can open it whenever. I would argue that email list is even more important. Like it's w- like almost way more important than social media. Like I agree totally. Have, having a like a an email list of a bunch of people is so much closer to getting somebody to buy whatever you're doing than somebody following you on Instagram. So. Yeah, hundred percent. So you know, both of you said conventions as part of your answer. Now that we're not in conventions, do you guys mm. have ideas for taking in the slack on that website? As, Okay. <laughs> well, that, that begs the question, uh, how do you get people to your website? To, well, yeah. See, unfortunately, I don't know if we're going to have a replacement for conventions. Uh, I know that online conventions tried a, a thing, but it's just, it's mm. not the same. It's I, really sorry. Not. Yeah. To interrupt you, um, I, I don't mean specifically a replacement for conventions, but in yeah. conventions being the main source of your uh, growing your email list, do you have yeah. ideas for how to take in the slack on growing your email list? in lieu of conventions. Yeah, I can, uh, I can speak to this a little bit because, Mm. um, the company I worked for was, a um, one of the web design jobs I had was a, um, college textbook, uh, online seller. Um, so if you're trying to build your email list just from your website, there's no conventions involved. Um, obviously you're going to, like the main source of where people are going to sign up for that is through your, your purchase pipeline. So, they're coming into your website. They're buying something from you. They also sign up for your email list. Uh, these are really, it's really good to, to retain these people because it's somebody who's already bought something from you. So the way that you get people into that ecosystem is you advertise. Um, I actually did some calculations um, after conventions got shut down for the year. And I realized I was spending $17,000 on hard costs to go to shows a year. Um, and I went, oh, um, I could instead maybe spend that money on advertising and not have to run around the United States. Don't get me wrong. I still love doing conventions, but like my, my hard costs a year, like it's an investment. I get that money back. Cause you know, I, I do well enough at shows, but like I do, I was doing eight or nine shows a year and it cost me $17,000 in like travel costs, convention fees, things that are like not invested specifically in my inventory. Like that's, that's not even product, right? So if I was going to take some of that money and be like, all right, yeah, I'm going to put it into PPC ads or whatever and bring people to my website and hopefully sell them something and then get them signed up for my email list. It's, it's kind of similar to selling at a convention, but the biggest difference is they're not meeting you face to face. And I think Blake, that's, you know, the big thing about what you said is that that face to face interaction is super important. Um, it, it, people are, are interested in you, right? They're not just interested in what you're making, especially as an artist, right? Like people want to be, involved and in, in invest in you as a person and not just your artwork so and to ex- to expand on that point right there that's where that's where twitch has yeah you know it really i mean twitch has made my current career because yeah. of that um you know especially now that conventions are gone this is my only you know sort of pseudo face-to-face really it's just my face and i look at a chat box right. but um you know this is the, the closest you can get to that uh, interpersonal, uh, customer relationship kind of thing. And yeah. and it really helps, uh, without Twitch, if I was just, uh, you know, just a website, just an Instagram page, there's no connection. You yeah. don't get any of that. Uh, and that, that's why like, you know, conventions were so, were so great for people. Cause you have that, you know, you can chat with people, you can, you can identify with, with people, you know, you, you share the same interests, you know, um, and Twitch is that too. It's probably the closest you can get to a 
convention right now. And mm -hmm. so that's when people will want to know more about you, know more about your work, uh, and hopefully eventually invest in what you're doing because of that connection. You hear that Twitch? Give us our <laughs> category back. And yeah. anyway, sorry, I, I, yeah. I slipped out for a second there. Um, <laughs> We'll edit I, that out of the uh, recordings. I, no, we won't. Well, I'm going to turn the volume up and it's going to repeat for like the next 10 minutes before we come back to the conversation. Um, 17K at conventions, man, that's yeah. Um, yeah. impressive. And oh, I'm yeah. I, I'm, and I, I, okay, yeah, I'll, 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 I'll qualify that to say I'm sure it's maybe less than others, but probably sure. uh, yeah. more than some. When, when you think about turning that into, you know, advertising, you, you say that you've already like kind of looked into the, the numbers. Mm -hmm. um, do you feel confident that you can, you know, make a return on investment by translating some of that into investment and that will actually like pay off in the long run? Um, okay, so I'll preface this by I haven't done it yet. <laughs> but No, yeah, yeah, totally. Um, I, I know, like I said, the situation where I described before where I'm not going to throw money at at bad ads where if I can find an ad that will can let, let's say I want to sell a play mat through my website. Um, and I can find an ad that will cost me $5 to get somebody to buy that play mat. I'm just going to add that into the cost of my play mat. And if I'm making money at the end of that, then there's no reason why I shouldn't throw tons and tons and tons of money at that ad because I'm, you're literally just printing money, right? Like as long as you're profiting and you're bringing people in, there's no reason why you wouldn't throw money at it. So as as long as I can find that ad, which again, I'll, uh, I don't know if I can. Um, but the thought experiment was, man, that's a huge chunk of money to be throwing away, uh, throwing away. It's not really, again, it's sort of advertising, right? It's like, you know, I was, I, I, I income, my full income was conventions. So if I'm spending that amount of money, I'm, I'm getting more than that back. So, um, you know, what does that end up looking like? And then, and then, then there's sort of a cost analysis of like, all right, well, I can get a better return on my investment through conventions, or can I get a better return on investment through online advertising? And that's a question I don't know the answer to yet. So, so if the person doesn't have the money in pocket, but they still like, let's say they uh, do some experimenting with a low amount of money they do have, like like two hundred dollars, mm -hmm. and they find something that works, mm -hmm. do they take out a loan at that point so they can keep pressing that ad button? If you factor in the amount of interest you'd have to pay on that loan, then yeah, I don't say why not. It's all just a just an equation, right? You're just figuring out like, okay, at the end of this, I come out with more money. Now, sometimes it might not be worth the effort because you're only coming out with pennies, but as long as you know you're making money, I don't I don't see why you wouldn't do. Yeah, I know like I know a lot of artists that uh, you know pay the upfront cost for their convention year on their credit card, and then they just they just pay it off. As, yeah. the as the convention season goes, yeah. <laughs> so I'm not advocating that. <laughs> but at the same time, you know, yeah, I know artists yeah. that do it, and it works well for them. And right, it's yeah. It's... I would say take small risks, right? Like, uh, like I'm not throwing seventeen thousand dollars at at one show or whatever, and hoping that I make that back. Right. It's like it, it it built up to that amount after five years. You know, it was like okay, I, I started at this little show, I made money. I'm going to go to a bigger show. I made more money. I'm going to go to a bigger show. I made more money. Okay. Now I only, I'm only going to bigger shows. And so that, you know, you end up, you know, with pretty high costs at, at some point. So that seems to be a, a pretty uh, common theme throughout. Start small with yeah. Kickstarters, with the Patreon, <laughs> with whatever. It, yeah. It I mean, the, the worst mistake you can do is throw, you know, tens of thousands of dollars at something that's maybe not even fully developed, you know, 
Like you yeah. really gotta, you know, like with, with Kickstarter, I probably jumped the gun. Even my first Kickstarter was a deck of playing cards. I probably should have done something simpler, like, you know, prints and just, yeah. you know, to, to get a handle on what Kickstarter actually is. If I had jumped in with a full fledged, you know, board game miniatures, <laughs> you know, expansions, all this stuff, like the chances of flopping are so, so high. Um, and, or conventions. If my first convention was San Diego Comic-Con, like, you know, when, when I don't even have a, a much of a body of work yet or anything like that, the expenses are so high, you're likely to, you know, hurt yourself. So yeah, start small. Yeah. If you're doing conventions, do some small local show first. My first show was Tucson Comic-Con. It was like a hundred dollar table, tiny mm-hmm. little show. And I had my first experience there and I'm like, you know what, maybe, maybe this could work and then do shows after that. And uh, there's also like this is also how like risk averse you are like there 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 will be setbacks, you know, like there's mm-hmm. times when you invest money and you don't get it back. And, you know, I, I did a anime expo one year and it was not a good idea. <laughs> um, I, I ended up paying, I think, twenty five hundred dollars for a table um, in the exhibitor section. And it was off in a weird corner that I didn't realize how like blocked off I would be. And. I, I barely came out of there breaking even. I got I think I got yeah. pretty lucky to come out of there breaking even. So sometimes you take risks and they pay off and sometimes they don't. It's just yeah. a matter of like Sometimes they don't. Phoenix it, was a great show for me. That was a, a yeah. more expensive one for me anyway, my yeah. typical budget. Denver and Seattle were bad ones for me, but that was all because I was too cheap to pay for good placement. Yeah. At both of those shows and I got wrecked for it. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean that that's like a hard lesson too, like trying to figure out like, okay, how big of a risk do I have to take to get this to pay off? And then when you take like a, a too small of a risk and it doesn't pay off, and then yeah. you're like, Well, would it have paid off if I took a bigger risk or am I just gonna walk away? You know, like Yeah. It's... Well that I mean that falls into your Facebook advertising too. If you put yeah. in twenty five bucks, fifty bucks, you're not gonna get anything back. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, this does remind me, though, of, of something that, uh, Gavin, you said much earlier, um, that for all intents and purposes, well, that's I, I'm going to horribly paraphrase what you did say uh, that um, functionally, your product should be finished before your Kickstarter. Um, yep. Now, help me understand that a little bit, because I imagine something like a like a board game or the game that you made, which may have lots of moving parts or like Blake was talking about, you know, a game with like miniatures and stuff like that. Um, what, what does it look like to finish something like that before the Kickstarter? And then you're saying that the Kickstarter is basically just to fund it. So what is, mm-hmm. what, what, what are we talking about in terms of those phrases, you know, funding it versus making a finish? Because if I think about making a, finished product to kickstart what am i funding after that just the manufacturing and distribution of it uh yeah i mean basically just the yeah so so um you know that there's uh websites for this kind of thing that will print you just a single copy um i think gamecrafter.com is the place to go if you want to just get like a a a one-off uh, and they'll print all the cards. It'll, it'll cost a lot more is part of the thing because you're just making one. So I think it was, you know, somewhere in the like a five or ten dollar range um, for a, a copy off there. And it's not going to be as good quality, but it, it lets you know, like, here's the finished product. Like I have the whole thing and I can hold it in my hands and I know exactly what I'm going to be manufacturing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, and then there's also uh, like press proofs and things you get from the manufacturers. But um, 
I wanted to be in a position where I had like no artwork left to done or left to do. Uh, and then I had all the graphic design done and I knew what was going to be on the box and I knew what the logo was and I knew like everything was just ready to go out the door. And it's part of the reason why we kept the scope small um, for the first project, because as you get bigger, you start to not be able to take those kind like that's that's kind of a weird risk, too. Right. Because I invested a whole lot of time in this game. And what happens if it doesn't fund? Um and that's again another risk right so um if you're trying to make a bigger game i think you can take a smaller risk and be like okay well as long as you know how to get the game done in a timely manner afterward you could get funding first especially if you're not an artist i don't know how many people need, like, that watch your show aren't artists but um that's a huge chunk of money that you would need to come up with ahead of time so if you just bought you know, a few pieces of art that you were going to use for marketing, and then you're going to fund the rest of the art after the Kickstarter. That's still, you know, something you, you just have to kind of work your way through. But with the situation that I'm in, we're making games that that we have the ability to make every piece of. So we're like, let's just do it all ahead of time uh, before we put it on Kickstarter so we know that we can fulfill quickly. So yeah. you guys had um, picked uh, manufacturers ahead of time. Uh, could you guys walk through like how you chose which manufacturers to uh, uh, pick and uh, what the general cost was for um, each of your respective products? Sure. Um, well, first uh, I'll piggyback off of what Gavin was saying earlier on the other question. Um, like, yeah, I made sure to get everything done beforehand so that there was no work to do after the Kickstarter was done um, because well, I was worried about making sure it did get done. And, and what, and really what you're funding, what, what Joby was talking about, what, at least what I was trying to fund was just the product. If I was trying to fund my time to develop it, that goal would have been way higher. Yeah. Um, and it probably would never be met, you know? Um, so unfortunately you have to eat the cost of the art and design and everything. And that's, I don't know if there's any other way around it. Um, except unless you do other funding things like Patreon, it, that could be mm -hmm. a way of, of funding the time. And then Kickstarter is funding the, the production. Um, but anyway, uh, choosing a manufacturer, I went, there was, I mean, there are so many, you know, custom playing card companies that you can go through. Um, uh, especially with, with like the playing card arena, most people really, really want, uh, a lot of collectors want, um, uh, USPC, the, or I think I said it right. The, the United States playing card company, uh, and like nobody else, I, I had some people really complain that I, that I didn't choose that company, but I didn't choose that one because I wanted more customization options. Like my, mm. I wanted my product to look a specific way with specific packaging, with specific, you know, I wanted to, to design everything the way I wanted to design it at a good price point. Um, so yeah, a lot of research went into picking the different company that fit my product. But I also already had all of that designed. Um, like I, I had a few companies in mind, but then I already had the the product envisioned and everything so that I didn't make compromises based on the company that I chose. Hmm. Because yeah. some companies, you know, you'll have to adjust to what they need. Like so, you know, like maybe board games, you have you you know, you have to have tokens this size for it to, you know, uh, otherwise they won't manufacture it or whatever. So, um, uh, yeah, you, you got to do your like. Luckily, I was able to find a company that was really flexible with what I wanted. Um, sometimes you have to do the research for 
uh, is pick your company beforehand. So then, so that when you're drafting up your your boards, your your decks of cards, your miniatures, whatever, there won't be major adjustments later that could then cost you more time or more money. So yeah, that research is super important. Yeah, I mean, we basically did the same thing where we just did a bunch of research and figured out who was printing what games and and um then we contacted them to figure out what the price would be versus the quality that they were going to give and that's just how we chose the company we did we ended up going with panda uh just because the the price was better and the quality was either the same or better so buy samples yeah <laughs> you must yeah. buy samples <laughs> yeah so a lot of the manufacturing actually comes from china which uh, meant with panda for example mm-hmm. um now that not to get political, but there is some uh, hubbub going on with uh, you know how Hong Kong was the linchpin to get into China, and now mm-hmm. that uh, Hong Kong is losing their independence, essentially, mm-hmm. uh, that all may come of air. So, what advice would you get to look for you know more either domestic or non-Chinese dist- uh, manufacturers? Hmm, this is something I'm going to have to look into soon because our second game is getting close to being done. So I don't have a definitive answer yet, Um, but our strategy will be kind of probably similar in that we're going to just try to find all the companies we can and and figure out who's doing what and figure out the quality to price ratio and go with whatever makes sense. Yeah, it all just comes down to researching. You know, there are there are also companies in, in Europe that I've heard good things about as far as, you know, playing card manufacturing goes. And then, you know, there's always options in the U.S. too. You might have to uh, pay more for those services, but then you just budget that into your goal for Kickstarter. You know, uh, politics aside or whatever, I, I would have preferred to print in the United States, but it's so much more expensive that it's prohibitive. Like, yes. it's just oh for gosh. someone who's who's at the level that I am, uh, it just was not possible, mm-hmm. you know, so. Right. Yeah, I'm I'm curious too about the uh on the shipping end of the manufacturing and the distribution end of it. Um I I'm especially in a situation like yours Gavin, you know, where you are making it's not a huge box, but it, it's a box. And if you ha- I don't know how many you even had made, I can only imagine that if you had all of those sent to your house, you would be walking through tiny little narrow hallways yeah. surrounded by boxes. And mm-hmm. you mentioned earlier that you had a setup, you know, where you didn't want to have them shipped to the U.S. just so you could ship them back over right. somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, so, is it for any given product? Is it pretty common to be able to find a scenario yeah. where the distribution can be handled by a third party as well, and you 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 don't have to receive stacks yeah, and stacks uh, of product, whatever it may mm-hmm. be? Yeah, again, that was part of the strategy. Was like, how do we find this dis- these distribution hubs? Uh, and you have to pay for a warehouse to store your stuff and ship it out for you. There's a fee involved, so that was part of our costs. Yeah, is that just so I don't have to store everything in my house and ship everything out of my garage? Yeah, you end up paying more money. Um, but at at a certain scale, it's just, you're right; it's not feasible. Your entire house is filled with your product. So. Yeah, it, it depends um, on the scale. I didn't have to worry about that because it was just playing cards, and it was a thousand of them. It sounds like a lot, but actually, when I uh, when they were dropped off at my door, uh, it didn't look like there was enough. Yeah, you're like, you're like, what is this? Yeah, <laughs> yeah I was like, wait a minute. There's no yeah. way this is a thousand decks of cards, but but it was so, and I was able to fit you know all of them, all the boxes in my closet. It wasn't that big a deal. So it certainly depends on the scope. Yeah, board mm-hmm. games, you might want to 
yeah. you know, figure yeah. something out. If it's smaller, like prints or pins or, you know, whatever, like you can do that at your house. That's no problem. Yeah. You could. You could. I'm, th- I'm thinking of a, a calculation, though, of like even something as small as a pin where it's just like open the envelope, put it in. But then you like you have to make up all of the printing labels and, all, you know, so I'm thinking of like estimating the time that it's going to take you for any given mm-hmm. even any given packaging operation assume you're paying yourself $30 an hour for that get a yeah. lump sum and then figure out okay how much is it going to cost me extra to have a third party do of all do this is x equal to y that gives you the answer you know mm-hmm. whether you want it do it yourself yeah. or not I guess. Well, I, yeah I, I think again that totally depends on the kickstarter uh mm-hmm. i was able to ship out um 197 orders in like 2 or 3 days mm-hmm. um but but I had a system already set up. I had my scale. I had my label maker. I had a stamps.com account. I had, you know, everything set up. I just, you know, I had my my boxes next to me, my product next to me, the the wrapping, you know, I had everything just set up and just fold and go. And I just watched a lot of Netflix and <laughs> and just, yeah. just got it done in like in like two or three days. Mm-hmm. Um but obviously that, that that's small items. That's really easy. But things like, you know, more complicated, larger orders with add-ons and things like that, that's where things get really complicated. You'll you'll want to figure out how to budget either. Uh, I think, um, was it, uh, oh, I'm forgetting her name now. Um, she did like a, a, a monster, a really cool monster book. Gosh, what's her oh, name? Crystal? Yes, thank you. Crystal Sully. So she had a whole bunch of friends come over to help you know, package the, the books with, with their add-ons, the prints and everything and paid them all in pizza, you know, like, like you, you can, you can figure out ways to, to get all this done or, you know, pay a company, a third party company to distribute it from their, their warehouse. They'll have people that, that do everything. Um, a lot of places have systems in place to do everything right. So um, there's so many different ways to do it. Again, that's just all in figuring out, you know, what you're selling, uh, researching what your packaging is going to be. Can you handle it yourself? Yeah. Okay. No big deal. If you, if it's going to be overwhelming and take you months to put these packages together, get some, get somebody to help you or pay somebody to do it. Yeah. I, I think you should think about it in those terms and like every aspect of what you're working on too. Right. So I'm at a, a point now where I'm like, okay, well, I'm working on my second game and there's a lot of art involved and I'm sitting here going, well, I could spend a ton of time and do all this art, or I could bring some people in to help me out and, get it done sooner which means we can get to the kickstarter sooner which means we can get the product out sooner which means we can get to this the next project sooner and and i'm starting to realize that like i am sort of becoming a um like kind of getting getting in the way of the growth of the company in a way that's like okay well if i just continue to do everything then i slow everything down so you know it's similar with even shipping a kickstarter if, if you're at a scale where doing it yourself makes the most sense. Just know that you're going to have to build in that time into your own schedule and take time away from whatever else you could be doing to, mm-hmm. f- to just do shipping. And then it's like, well, what is that time worth? And uh, how much would it cost you to have somebody else do it? So it makes me think uh, of that, uh, the episode of the office where that he starts the competition paper company and they're doing all of the, the, the deliveries out of his van and like, <laughs> so, <laughs> I've never seen office. So I wouldn't know. Well, lots of oh. other people have moose. So, Anyway, next question. Um, <laughs> uh, assuming that the work is not a factor, which which it is, that sounds crazy, but just mm-hmm. bear with me. Do you have a sense of, you know, kind of how 
closely it's reasonable to stack kickstarters you know if uh you said you know earlier mm. there are some people that use kickstarter sort of as a business model yeah um, but do you have any uh insight into what is reasonable in terms of timing how close they would happen <laughs> well my advice and this is not what you have to do but my advice is do not run another kickstarter until you've fulfilled the previous one <laughs> okay and that is i think that it's slapping your customers in the face a little bit um i i i'm thinking of it in terms of like company perceptions or like brand perceptions i guess and like how you want to treat your customers um but if you were in two different audience pools then and you think you could pull it off, you could run Kickstarter simultaneously. <laughs> I don't know if I would, though. I don't know if I would. Oh, so, wow. I wasn't in the, in the question. I wasn't even assuming. <laughs> simultaneously. Oh, you mean like how far even more? Okay. So, so yeah, separate from I mean, each other. I think it depends on the scale of the, the project and how much you're, you're dipping back into your own audience, right? You're like, you only want to go back so many times and be like, hey, here's something that costs forty dollars, and here's something that costs a hundred dollars, and here's something that costs buy it, buy it, buy it. You know, it's like it's uh I mean although, okay, what I will say is <laughs> when you know I worked for the college um uh bookstore company, um we did some experiments of like how many emails can you send out, like how many email blasts can you send out before people start unsubscribing to your email list? <laughs> um and the answer is way more than you think. <laughs> oh. <tell laughs> so <me more. laughs> uh, you know, we were at a like we're like, okay, well, let's send out one a week. This is kind of our normal schedule. And it's like, well, what happens if we send two a week? What happens if we send three a week, four a week? What happens if we're mail emailing every day? And it's like Wait, did you actually do that? We tried, yeah. During the <laughs> the the times of of the year where we were really busy, you know, there's like there's rush periods where people are, you know, going to college and they need books, and so we're like, okay, well, this is a period of time where we need to hit them every day and and make sure that people are remembering. Oh, I can just get my books from this company, um, and uh, not as many people as you would think dropped off. It was strange. So, uh, you know, yeah, so. That being said, I would, I guess, have to experiment before I would know how often you could. I, I would. Uh, my gut says once a month would be the most you could do, but I don't but, know if that's yeah. true. Oh, even that. <laughs> right. It's like, and, and that's running. Maybe you don't even have to run a 30 day campaign. Maybe you're running a 15 or a 10 day campaign. <clears> but like, I think that if you did a small enough project, you, let's say you wanted to do a print <clears> and you're like, all right, I'm going to just. I'm going to have this one print and you can add these other prints as add-ons. You're running it sort of like a convention booth. You run one a month with a new piece every month. And I think that could work maybe. I yeah. think some of the advice we got really well-oiled machine, then I, I think you yeah. could do it really quick for me. I do like one a year maximum. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if it was a bigger project, I would, yeah, I wouldn't do them that, that close together. But. Well, I know that I there's some also of the advice we'd gotten Go ahead, from other, uh, uh, prior guests on the show was to uh, not just advertise every time you have something to uh, only when you have something to. to oh, to, sure. Uh, so yeah. if you're going to email them uh, once a month, you know, just talk about some other things every other month. Right. Instead of just oh, yeah. being focused yeah. on sell, sell, sell. Well, there's like the 80, 20 rule, right? It's like, okay, 80% of the time you're talking about just whatever. And the 20% of the time you're actually advertising what you're doing. Um, but yeah, that's. Yeah. Did you it's guys like the golden ratio, but for advertising. Right. <laughs> um, this thought just sort of randomly occurred to me. Um, 
other guests on other episodes have talked about little like kind of appreciation things that they've done for mm. customers and you know like gifts gift cards or uh promo codes stuff like that did, did you guys do anything like even as simple as like little thank you notes or like you know, what kind of customer appreciation stuff did you do if anything so this isn't really Kickstarter related, but last year I sent out a Krampus card to all of my, anybody that had bought anything from my website and anybody that was on my, um, like my mailing lists and stuff, mm -hmm. uh, pa patrons and everything. I just, I made up a, I don't have one, otherwise I'd show you, but um, it was like a foil stamped Krampus card that just said, you know, tis the season or something. He was drinking hot chocolate. It was kind of cool, but uh, yeah, I just sent I, that I love to. I got oh, it. Yeah. I love oh, it. Oh, yeah. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> it was really uh, cool. I'll probably do another one this year. And then I'm I'm like, let me just see how I can build something once a year into what I'm doing to just be like, hey, you know, I really appreciate that you're part of my life and that you're involved in what I'm doing. And uh, just, you know, and it really wasn't that expensive. I think I spent a few hundred dollars on it and sent it out to everybody and just to say thanks. So, yeah, I do think doing some of that is a good idea. Yeah, is that, was that I... the question? <laughs> Yeah. Uh, Blake, Blake did nothing. I don't, yeah, I, I, have, I have done nothing. Um, Blake's not thankful. Uh, no, definitely not. Um, Blake, yeah, Blake I, is I sending still, us all a turkey for Thanksgiving. Oh, that'd be great. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. It's actually made of turkey. but um, So, yeah, there, there are a lot of things that I keep thinking about doing. Um, you know, to be more appreciative of, 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 uh, you know, my fans and things like that right now, it's only been, you know, on, on stream, I'm sure to, you know, audibly thank everybody who's, who's around, but as far as like sending stuff, I really haven't, um, I haven't done anything like that, which is unfortunate, but you know, I'm still trying to figure out this, <laughs> this, uh, the online side of everything. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's been, a, I, I've only been doing this for what, uh, two years. So there's a lot of a lot of learning, a lot of mm -hmm. uh, a lot of growth, um, and that's that's one thing I need to be better about. Well, I think that there's probably stuff that's like lower barrier to entry than like sending out you know a card oh, or whatever. Sure. Yeah. You know, like if somebody wanted to send out you know uh, an email, like again, like I give out my digital sketchbook when somebody signs up, I could like you know give out something digital. That way, there's a whole lot less. There's no costs necessarily right. involved. So. Mm -hmm. Well, I know, um, Gavin, you've sort of alluded, uh, hinted a little bit at future projects, future yeah. Kickstarters, I assume. So mm. maybe a, yeah. you, you can start, but Blake, please follow up uh, what future Kickstarter plans you guys have. And to the extent that you can talk about it, maybe tell us a little bit about what the ideas are. Hmm. Uh, there are, there are, I mean, many ideas. The, the thing is sharing the ones that, uh, <laughs> will actually happen. Yeah. Um, don't, don't end up putting your foot in your mouth yet. <laughs> I know. And I, I already do it all the time on my streams. Like, Oh dude, I should do that. I'm totally going to do this. And then I don't, um, I, I know that I want, uh, you know, uh, another deck of cards for sure. I want to expand upon, you know, this, this, uh, Omen shard idea. I have a, um, uh, I, I do have a board game, but it's going to be years out. It's still like really early. Um, you know, there, there's so many things. I even have like a, a 
novel that I started writing. Who knows oh, how? Boy. Yeah. You know, like there's 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 so many things. Um, I know those feels. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. Uh, I've got uh, a whole bunch of play mats that are be that are going to be on my store uh, next week. I've got, um, I mean, even silly things like I, I threw up a, a bunch of designs on an online T-shirt store. Like, I've, you know, I'm just kind of throwing everything up there that I've been thinking about all this year and just never did it. And now I'm just finally starting to roll out some of those some of those things. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's always going to be more. Uh, it's just a matter of actually doing it. Yep. Uh, we have our our second game uh coming to kickstarter shortly we're about to go into beta um we are announcing the beta on our kickstarter i think on this tuesday uh so our kickstarter you know following will be aware of the game we're also inviting some of our kickstarter backers um if they want to to join our discord and participate in beta testing um as a way to be like hey you know we're really glad that you were supportive of the game and we want to bring you in here and get your input before we're finalizing the second game so that Kickstarter is probably coming. Uh, I don't want to nail it down too much. Sometime next year, um, pro- hopefully spring. But we have quite a few things to do still. We haven't shot the video yet. Um, we haven't figured out exactly what the tiers are going to be. I haven't done much of the artwork yet. So there's still some some hurdles there. Um, that's really the the big Kickstarter thing I have coming up. Um, I've thought about kickstarting an art book uh, for my arts, just, you know, my, my art business. Um, but I, I don't know. I'm kind of, I, I like the idea, but I almost would rather do something more themed. I would rather like pick a, a specific, like, okay, this book is about this and, and, you know, thoughts of novels like Blake was bringing up and things. But um, yeah, just for now, I think it's just the game. So speaking of your uh, Discord server, you oh, yeah. started uh, expanding that to yeah. uh, more creators. Do you want to talk about who you want to be uh, a member of that community? Yeah, I, I don't want to do too much plugging, but... Uh, no, plug, plug. This is the time for plugging. Yeah, okay. Uh, so <laughs> It's we, the very end just... of the show. No one is listening now anyway. So. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> um, yeah, if you made it this far, no. Um, no, we... Um, we we started a, a podcast will be coming out once a week. Uh, it's you can find it on YouTube. It's called the Distraction Makers, um, and the idea is that um, we I, I kind of want to talk about all things creativity, all things like uh, uh, distraction is apparently one of the dictionary definitions for a game. So we were like, oh, cool, that's funny. Like, um, <laughs> so Distraction Makers uh, talks talks to games or art or movies or or whatever. We just want to talk about creative stuff. Um, within the Discord, uh, we're, we want to just be a, a kind of a tight-knit community of, of creators. Um, whatever avenue you're in, you know, we've got different tags for game makers or art makers or comic makers or, or whatever. But I, I feel like there's uh, the ability to kind of bring creatives together is going to help everybody. So, you know, somebody wants to make a game, maybe they're not artistically inclined, but somebody who's an artist that wants to do the artwork on a game, well, let's try to bring those two people together and see what happens. Um, we do weekly uh, meetups for game tests. Uh, sometimes those like sometimes that's just the game makers, um, so you can get more in-depth critique. And sometimes that's for the whole community. Um, yeah, that's kind of what we got going on over there. So, Very and cool. uh, Blake is one of those uh, people who has done art for other people's board games before. Yeah, yeah, I've I've done uh, art for several board games now. It's actually super fun. Nice. Um, yeah, really, really fun projects. I've been given 
uh, a lot of creative freedom. Uh, what's also interesting is being like the the one artist that does the whole board game. Yeah, so you kind of control all of it, and it yeah. it's really really fun. Um, but yeah, maybe I'll, I'll plug my website a little bit. Uh, I um, check out omenshard.com. Uh, you'll find uh, my own fantasy world there. A, a little bit of stuff. There's some lore. There's some art. Uh, links to other places too, as well as a, a store if you're interested in, in any of that merch at all, including my playing card deck that we talked about earlier. Uh, still a lot of those available for sale. Um, but yeah, there's always new projects going on. You can sign up for the, the email list. Um, scroll down to the bottom. I'll be sending out uh, some emails uh, actually tomorrow um, about some stuff that's going on, plans for the future. And uh, yeah, and then I, I stream on Twitch most weeknights, uh, some more than others, mostly because I, I have a new baby. So sometimes, you know, <gasps> get a little busy. What? Yeah, thank you. Thank oh, you. Wait, that happened. Congratulations. What? It did happen, Joby. Yeah. I, I, dude, I've been, <laughs> out of the, I, I've been out of the loop. When did that happen? No, no you're good. Uh, about, uh, a little over a month ago. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's, oh it's been really God. exciting. Really exciting. I that's why he hasn't been uh, totally consistent with his streaming schedule. Yeah, that's I, why my streaming has been, you know, here and there, sometimes just, in midday, uh, sometimes yeah, just, just all bring the baby like, with you. It's fine. Yeah, <laughs> I feel like such a such a terrible internet friend. Um No, dude, don't worry about it, man. You got you got your own babies at home. So you're Well, good. fair enough. Um and PS, all of this information for uh both of you guys will be in the show notes for you know cool. all, all the recordings on the podcast and on youtube and stuff like that so um anybody not catching that information now uh, please follow up um with uh all of the locations that the the recordings end up if you want to find out about that kind of stuff um Moose... oh, wait, a couple more things oh sorry. yeah sorry 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 uh, if you want to see my artwork go to ggv ggvart.com if you want to see my game company go to last last ditch that's that's me. That's all my stuff. So. <laughs> Go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> so funny enough, th there was one question that uh, a few couple questions more that we didn't get to, but one of them was the one that actually started this whole uh, decision to have you two on this show. Yeah. And it was in regard to creating an artificially low uh, goal to launch your Kickstarter with mm. and whether or not that was slimy or a good idea. So do you want to go uh, Blake and then Gavin? So, my, because I, I I considered the same thing, right? Because uh, I, I thought about my own habits on you know what Kickstarters do I click on to look at, and almost always I would click on the ones that were, uh, you know, that said you know funded really quick. Because then it, it I'd be like, oh, there, there's hype over this, so it must be interesting. It must be good. So I'll click on it and look at it, and sure enough, this thing's pretty sweet, right? Whereas other Kickstarters. Um, that were like really slow to fund, or like maybe they had really high goals. Even if the dollar amount uh, that that was uh, that people were buying into it was really really high, if the goal wasn't met, I was less interested. Uh, just you know, my first impression anyway. I was less interested in those kickstarters. Um, so I thought when I was running my own, maybe maybe I could do the same thing. But then I also thought about the risk involved in that. If I don't reach that dollar amount or if i do if i do hit exactly that dollar amount say i say i actually need five grand but i say i only need a thousand if i only hit a thousand i'm already out four grand like that hurts yep um so i would advise against it 
uh, I would say make your goal exactly what you need. Um, you know, because that way, if you if you do meet that exact goal, at least those expenses are covered. You'll still be out, you know, some some time. Well, obviously time, but also some other hidden expenses. You'll still have to, you know, be out that. But at least you will make the bulk of your expenses. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Anyway, I w- I would just second most of that. Um. The only thing I would add is that um. I would figure out how much everything's going to cost you, and I'd add another twenty percent on top of it. Yeah, that's what you should do. Because there, you're, you're, there's always going to be stuff that comes up that you didn't think about. Um, and also, I know that there's a lot of board game companies that do this, where like, especially in the card game space, because I'm like, twenty nine thousand is a really high goal for card game stuff. Um, and we were a little concerned about it, and it did take us a little bit longer to fund because of it. But I'm really glad that we put it at that number because, yeah, like Blake's saying, if we had put it at ten or fifteen thousand and only hit that goal, we would have been screwed. We would have been like, well, I guess we got to come up with five thousand, ten thousand dollars, whatever, to get this project out the door. Um, right. So what I seen was uh, sorry, okay, sorry, real, real quick. I, I've known other game companies, other game company uh, leads and things who fund their own Kickstarter. It gets close to the end and they're like, I'm going to dump two grand in here just so it funds because I, I want to make this game. Don't do that. <laughs> Let me tell you this quick story about. Uh, a friend of mine who started his first game, uh, Kickstarter, uh, it it w- it was going to fund, but it was going to just barely get over the finish line. And so he was like, okay, I'm going to cancel this. He cancels it before the project's done. He tells everybody that, hey, I'm going to make some adjustments and relaunch. So he takes all those backers that he had, he had accumulated over 20 days or whatever, and then relaunches and says, okay, back it again now. And all of them flooded in, but he made over a million dollars. I was like, what the, f- like, why? <laughs> why didn't I do what? this? Why wow. didn't I do this? Hmm. Yeah. So this you can get away with that once. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, like, uh, we, heard from, <laughs> we heard from uh, Metal Weave Games, uh, Andreas, on the second episode of the podcast was if they set the artificially low goal and it doesn't, like, slam it immediately, then they cancel mm-hmm. it. And yeah. then they try again later. Yeah. That makes sense. Hmm. So, again, I'm I'm more of a fan of just following the rules and snowballing, maybe not doing things that are a little shady. But when I saw him do that, I was like, mm, okay, you're, you can, you can do that one time and it's with your first Kickstarter. Cause if you get a whole bunch of canceled projects on your account, people are going to go like, what's wrong with this company? Yeah. So. Yeah. And actually, plan your timing and stuff too. Time of the year matters. Uh, I probably picked a bad time. Uh, end of summer is usually not a not a good time to run Kickstarters. Also, yeah, the very beginning spring. of the year is not a good time. Yeah, after tax season. Mm, that's before, the best time. Yeah, right around there. Yeah. yeah, I picked a rough time, but still ended up being successful. That was I was very lucky there. I think if I ran it at a different time, it would have been better. Yeah, be that's careful an, with running at the, toward the end of the year too. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say that's you an interesting idea. Timing over. Yeah. Uh, hadn't occurred to me. So you, yeah, not doing it because I, I don't know. There might be this sort of intuition that oh, I'll run it right after Thanksgiving because people want to buy Christmas gifts or whatever. I mean, you but could try, but you're asking for not. for problems. You know, yeah, like I mean, if, if you make a bunch of money and then you get close to the end of the year, you got to ch- change the way you're going to do your taxes so that you don't end up paying mm-hmm. on, mm. on money that you don't actually have because you have a huge chunk of money in your account, but it's really just going to shipping costs that you haven't paid yet. And there's ways to, to do that, but you have to hire an accountant to take care of it. There's, you're probably not going to be able to do that yourself. So. And even then, are you going to be able to deliver by Christmas? 
Because right. that's usually the intent of those backers. Oh, right. this is this is happening after Thanksgiving. Oh, sweet. I'm going to buy this with the intent yeah. of it being Christmas present. And then you, you're not even going to have your product in time. <laughs> Un- always under promise and over deliver. Always. Yeah. Always. Yeah. I, <laughs> I, I set my delivery goal like uh, the, the Kickstarter was in August. The delivery was like October. I was yeah. delivering like first week of September. Yep. And, and people were really happy with that. So nice. Cool. Well, uh, Moose, you got any more questions? Um, so you guys had two diff- widely different uh, scales of Kickstarter, but neither of you were actually below $5,000 uh, in terms of your goal. Do you have any suge- thoughts on like a mini Kickstarter? Is that viable or not really worth your time? My my first uh, Kickstarter goal was only 500 bucks, and I think I made two grand or 2,500. So um, yeah, totally doable. Anything's viable. I mean, yeah, you, you know, you $5. do a, do a Kickstarter for for a hundred bucks. You know, a yeah. hundred bucks do do five dollar pins. You know, or mm-hmm. I don't I don't know what. No, that's anything, a great idea. Anything works. Uh, if you have an idea, if you're not familiar with Kickstarter but you want to try it, you have you have this thing you want to try. Just do a small Kickstarter. You know, and keep it easy. Even if you're yep. you're probably not going to make a whole lot of money at margins that you know scale that small. But who cares? You're trying to learn. And at least you'll have like some expenses covered or whatever. So you can figure out how it works, how you can manage shipping. And then your next Kickstarter, you can scale it up or, or whatever. I mean, technically I made more money on my small Kickstarter. <laughs> That's yeah, what that got. happens too. You know, sometimes you'll make more on a print Kickstarter than it's you not... would uh, just because of expenses and whatnot. But... Yeah. yeah. It, I mean, Kickstarter numbers, but not overall. Yeah. It's yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, anything, anything works. Uh, the thing is, your your fans want more. They they it's want true. they want more of you. They want more of your stuff. So just just do it. Just give it to them. It's one of those more cake things. It there is. It is. Um. Well, fantastic. You guys were coming up on two hours. Um. We already Dang. M- we melt into a puddle at two hours. But yeah, I want to wrap it up with. Final question. Aside from your guys' personal projects or you know, things that you guys have going on for yourselves, Blake, you start. One thing in the world that's going on right now that you're excited about. Well, uh, I have a baby and she is amazing. It's probably the most exciting part of my life right now and probably will be forever. Um I don't think there's anything else for me that's worth talking about that beats that. I know it's a, it's <laughs> Warhammer. A, you can talk about Warhammer. Oh, okay. I guess I've picked up a new hobby over COVID, and that was that was uh, Warhammer miniature building and painting. Uh, it's a oh, yeah, it's a nice it's a nice hobby that um that helps me uh, use some creative energy, but without sapping drawing and painting, I, I guess I, I'm not sure how to explain. Well, okay. Yeah. So like when I was doing personal art, I would feel guilty that I'm not working on client work, but mm-hmm. I still want to do creative things. Yep. So mini painting ended up being that little escape where it was still creative, but I didn't feel guilty about it because it's not sitting at my tablet, looking at, you know, my invoices and, and all that stuff and I'm looking at Photoshop and thinking, Oh crap, I need to open that file or whatever. So this is a really good escape. So that's exciting. Also, it's a fun game and uh, I, apparently I'm pretty good at it. Matt, nice. I hope you're listening. You really need to learn how to play the game. <laughs> I had my, my Warhammer time at one point. 
It's, it's great. great. It's just there's a lot. It's a lot. Oh, it's a lot. It's <laughs> yeah. Well, Gavin, same question to you. Um, I, I, hmm. oh. <laughs> uh, I, I think I'm going to bring it around to uh, things that have helped me get through this this period of time, this pandemic, and and that things have have been you know rough in general. Um, I I started aquascaping, which is um. Essentially, it's really fancy fish tanks. <laughs> okay. Uh, fish, cool. fish were something that I had when I was a kid, and and um, I, I, there's there's a story that my family always tells that uh, I, I invited one of my friends over to pet my fish one time. <laughs> so I like <laughs> scoop them up from my hey, you want to pet my fish? Yeah. Uh, so I I started getting sort of back into that world and realized that there's like a whole artistry to fish tanks and understanding the chemistry involved and it's it's this this balance of like how to how to get nature to grow in a little box on your your stand right it's in your living room and um it was also uh, i i noticed that there's a lot of things about it that cross over uh to my artwork um the way that i like to build my scenes and stack plants and imagery and, and, mm. and put things together and, and rock rocks. And, um, I was like, Oh wow, this is scratching a certain itch for me that I didn't think that it would. So that's there's, something I've been excited about. There's aquasation overlap, man. They really do. Like even miniature painting has made me a better digital. Yeah. Painter. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Definitely. Yeah. That, there, I think that goes for all creative things. That's you know, part of the, part of the distraction makers thing is like, no matter the discipline, there's there's a, a lot of overlap in in all kinds of different creative mm -hmm. endeavors. So there's a uh, aquascaping championships, and if you look at them, oh, they're yeah. just amazing references for uh, landscapes that you can use like great lighting and great layouts. Well, there, there's actually a lot of those aquascaper guys will have concept artists come up with tanks for them. So Holy it's shit. a whole yeah, <laughs> it's a whole thing, man. That's so cool. Yeah, I was actually thinking about doing stuff like that too with like Warhammer. You know, yeah. since a lot of stores are closed and you can't play in them, you need to play at home. And so I've been thinking about building terrain and stuff like that. And as I'm thinking about that, like, dude, these terrain could make great references for paintings. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that makes sense to me. Yeah. It, another thing I think that's like really taught me is that like there's it, it's an art form that's not 100 percent under your control. Like like sometimes when you're trying to control it too much, it it backfires and you end up with a whole bunch of algae and like your tank looks awful because you were like pushing something too hard or it's, it's a, this really interesting sort of dance with nature, I guess that sounds really pretentious, but you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> we're all artists here. I feel like pretension is like it comes it, with the territory. Yeah. <laughs> if someone's not being pretentious, we're doing something wrong. Um, you guys, Thank you so, so much. This has been yeah. so great. I, I say this at the end of every podcast, but I also mean it at the end of every podcast. You guys got to come back on. Got to have both yeah, of you on individually me. if you're into it. Um, sure. There's so many, more, so many more questions and things that we can talk about. But uh, I'm going to hit the end of the record button now and see you guys soon. <laughs>